What? Set a record for consecutive wins. Oh, they did. I know. 20 some. <clears throat> yes! <laughs> and we're live, Cam Haynes. Flip that sucker over so you don't get any distractions. Oh, sorry. See, that's what Jed. happens. Jed. Jed already chimed oh. in. This motherfucker's right in the other room. He's got to text you. Make sure you say this. Make sure you do that. <laughs> um, we were. We just got back from an epic elk hunt in the mountains of we, we Utah. Did. That we was did. epic. Is the right word. You know, I think people throw around epic a little loosely. They do. Not this time. Not this time. No, no. God, man, it was amazing. Yeah. First of all, the place was incredible. The mountains up there were just. The scenery was just stunning. Like everywhere you look, your jaws drop. You're like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. Everything about it. Yeah. I mean, but but especially the scenery, just the mounds that they live in there. They're rugged. They're beautiful. And, you know, the Quakies haven't even turned yet. Normally, it seems like by this time, they're that's all yellow. Like all those white trees. Yeah, the aspens. Yeah. Why, why do you call them Quakies? Why does it? Quaking aspens. Quaking Aspens. Yeah. I've never heard them called Quakies so until this past them, weekend. Call them Quakies. Or this past week, rather. Everybody's calling them Quakies. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. yeah, that's a photo that I took from up there. Yeah. Fuck, man. Everywhere we look, it was just like, there was yeah. too many moments with elk that I couldn't film because it was just, I was just so engrossed in the idea yeah. of like getting it done and the hunting aspect of it that I, I, I didn't want to pull my phone out and be taking pictures no. every five minutes. So I be took the a tourist. Few. Yeah, I took a few <laughs> here and there, but. There were so many moments that I'm so glad that Under Armour filmed this whole thing. Yeah. So we're going to have a film of it that, that, that's going to be released online. So people are going to get a, a chance to check out how just incredible and epic and maybe just get a tiny sense of what we talk about when we talk about how amazing it is to do this. Yeah. And, and we had the right guys filming it because, you know, there's all sorts of different levels of especially hunting films. I mean, there's guys out there just with a handy cam, yeah. you know, just trying to do the best they can to share their experience. And then there's guys like Mark Womack and his crew with Sub 7 that make films. I yeah. mean, you know, he's filmed me. Um, there's an episode called Roy's Buck, uh, a whitetail hunt in Colorado. Did How, he do the time episode? Time, yeah. That, that one's amazing. The time. That's really good. Oregon elk hunt. And so those are not just your typical, what people might think of as a hunting film. Those are just, you know, or hunting video. These are true films. Well, it's a short film and it it's really like almost like a mini documentary mm -hmm. of how you're trying to balance your life and training and running and competing in these ultra marathons and then also working a full-time job and then also going out and bow hunting and mm -hmm. it's it's a and it's really well done yeah so those same guys filmed us yeah and man do we got some epic footage oh, just epic yeah <sighs> and and like you said hopefully gives a glimpse for people that that haven't experienced it or aren't hunters maybe just to see um Everything that's involved in the hunt and you know how powerful it is and, and just the an the wild Animals out there interacting with each other and and then how we fit in that formula. Yeah. It's crazy. It is I, I It's one of those things that I really think our words Like people will be intrigued by the words, but I don't think we're ever going to be able to put it in their head what we experienced because there was one point in time where Jameson and Colton and I were together in the woods, and uh, I just stopped, and as we were walking towards this elk that was screaming, and there's screaming elk all around us, and you hear these cow elk that are making this meow, meow. This and screaming is bugling. Yeah, yeah screaming. So we call it screaming, yeah. but there is, it's a... Uh, it's part of the mating ritual, basically, of the male elk. Yeah. And that's, they're just bugling, and it, 
we call it screaming because it's just like it's echoing. Like, That's what little it sounds like. There's a little higher, a yeah. couple higher notes in there, but yeah. yeah. Well, some of them are like, some of them have a growl too. <laughs> yeah, it starts deep. It goes high usually, comes back deep, and we, then the grunts. We heard the one bull that I wound up killing that sounded like Jurassic Park. And it was a crazy scene because Jameson and um, Colton and I were tucked into, Jameson was the guy who was filming it, Colton was the guide, and me, and we were tucked into this one small area, this, these trees that was at the edge of this creek. And we were watching these does, and we saw three does. So we knew, and there's a lesson cows? in this. I said, do, I said does? Yeah, cows. cows. Sorry, wrong terminology. Um, there's a lesson in this for regular people, for life. And this is the lesson in life. Because we saw these cows and we snuck in and we were like, wow, there's got to be a bull here. Because there's like three cows and we saw three it's more cows. It's a time cows. of year. Yeah. There's, there's not, no cows unattended. So there was 30 cows. The cows kept filing in. Mm -hmm. And we were like, where is this bull? Like, where yeah. is he? And all of a sudden, out of the creek bottom, <laughs> steam coming out of his mouth. How far like, away? 60 70 yards something yeah. like that like through the trees we couldn't and really... the, the the screen the bugling is deafening it feels like at that at that distance it's so close so loud and he was just letting everybody know yeah back the fuck up yeah. i'm here yeah i mean it's like a grand entrance so this is it the lesson. chills doesn't it oh it did yeah but this is the lesson okay there was one cow he had 30 cows yeah and one cow was like i don't want to be here I'm tired of being number 31. There's always one. Fuck this. And she takes <laughs> off. And he could not just be satisfied with his 30 with cows. 29. Oh, I think he had more than 30. It was oh. so hard to count. They were everywhere. Yeah, okay. But he could not be satisfied no. with the cows he had left. He's like, no, 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 no. Where are you going, baby? And yeah. he went chasing after her. Yeah. And when he went chasing after her, these other cows that were left behind started going, meow, meow. They make this noise like right. they want some dick. Yeah. And when that was happening, yeah. this other bull behind us was like, I'll fill that bill. Yeah. I'm the man for you, girls. Yeah. Well, well, fuck that dude. I'm right here. So he starts <laughs> screaming, and then the other bull starts screaming. So he decided it's too much. And so he takes all of his cows, and he moves them over the top of the hill. Mm. And when he moved them over the top of the hill, we went after him. And when we went after him, he turned around because... He thought we were that other bull. He heard you. He heard us walking. Yeah. So they, they can hear, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. No. So he just thought it was the bull coming. Yeah. Heard, heard sticks breaking and, and footfalls and things like that. Yeah. And that's how he got him. Yeah. So if he had just let that girl go. Yeah. Just get out of here, baby. So what's the lesson? The lesson is you got to let things go sometimes. Oh, is that it? You got 30 cows and one of them takes off. Or you might take an arrow in the chest. You might. Yeah. Yeah. Let, okay. that, let them go. I'm going to jot that down, actually. It's a very strong lesson. <laughs> it's a lesson for life. Like, sometimes you can't be greedy. He got greedy. Yeah. And when he, we probably got him anyway. But he got greedy. It's tough. You know, those things, they only have one thing on their mind, and that's breeding. Yeah. You know, so there is no, uh, 29 is good enough, you know, if we're rough numbers, but let that one go. They're fighting for everything they got. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, we did see bulls fighting. Um, you know, it's, uh, we see the bull, the, the big herd bulls posturing, you know, so they're bugling. They get kind of swole up. Sometimes if they're, uh, you know, if there's a subordinate bull, they'll kind of walk a little sideways to say, see how big I am. I mean, it's all this, this body language that goes on with these elk, but it's what they do. Yeah. It's all they care about right now. 
when we were uh, cutting the bull open, he had cuts and holes all mm-hmm. over his rib cage and his ass, like everywhere. From he had fighting. stab marks from fighting. Yeah. Like you cut below the skin, you see all these like punctures. Yep. Yep. Their antlers are, uh, I mean, and they're big, big, solid muscle, um, eight, 900 pound animals, barely any fat, living in the mountains. That, and, and you know how tough those mountains were to get around. They're in there every day, sleeping on dirt, tough, strong, and fighting. And yeah, they get beat up. Yeah, I mean, it's just what a, what a crazy existence, too, that for one month out of the year, everything goes haywire. Because mm-hmm. everything goes, your friends are now your enemies. You're, you're ready to fight to the death with guys you were just hanging out with a couple of all weeks summer. ago. All summer. All summer. All summer. Yeah, you weren't at the lake, but you were hanging out. <laughs> you weren't at the lake. <laughs> but you guys were eating grass. Yeah. You're just looking out for wolves. Actually, they don't have wolves up there. Well, they had a wolf came through real recently, right? They have bears. A lot of bears. But it's, they don't have a ton of predators, which is... One reason why the elk are doing so well up there. It was incredible. Yeah. I've never seen so many elk in one place. Like you had told me about it, mm-hmm. but when you get there and you hear them all screaming, it's we heard a hundred different elk screaming in this yeah. one basin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's uh, it's unlike anything I've ever heard, and I've elk hunted a lot of different places, and that's the you know if you. And I said, if you're an elk hunter, I said one morning, I think it was in the morning that it was snowing and we were in on bulls, you know, crazy rut activity, amazing footage, um, cold, wet, elk hunting. And I'd said, told Mark and the guy, I said, if, if you're an elk hunter, this is as good as it gets. Yeah. It I is. mean, it's, you couldn't, it couldn't be any better. No, it was the terrain was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. There was one time where we had snuck up to this one bull, and he was younger. He was still a big bull, but he was... You wanted to shoot every bull. Yeah, the ranch where we were at, they were really smart in how they manage the wildlife there. And one of the things they do is you're you're supposed to only kill an animal that's over eight years old, eight years or older. Yeah. So that way, they've had many, many, many years to breed. Mm -hmm. They're really like... They're in the later years of their life. Like, how elk, how long does an elk live in the wild the, if they, it's lucky? They thought that the bull I killed last year was 15. Whoa. But that's rare. That's crazy I old. mean, a 10-year-old bull is old. Yeah. Old. So they figured at 8, then it starts going downhill. So it's it's been past its prime. It's, that's past its prime, and that's past its breeding prime. So that's when you want to take it out. Yeah. Colton said that mine was between 8 and a half and 9 and a mm-hmm. half. Like, he didn't. They're you know they're trying to get specific and yeah. I guess they have to take the jaw and yeah, send it to a biologist. Yeah, teeth yeah. wear and things like that. Yeah, so the yeah. the estimate was eight and a half to nine and a half years old. That's an old bull. It's an old bull. But yeah, it's a tank. This uh, so that property it's about a quarter million acres, two hundred fifty thousand acres, and they figure there's qu- almost three thousand elk. You know, and uh, that's actually a little bit more than optimum uh, carrying capacity for that amount of property and that many elk. So they'd like to get that number down a little bit and it just increase the habitat and, and the elk herd health. But uh, Do they ever think about capturing some of those? I know the Rocky Mountain Elk Federation does that. Is it um, or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation? What is it? Foundation. Foundation? Yeah. They, they capture them and then they'll release them to places like Kentucky and they've sort of reestablished yeah. like a real herd there now. Mm-hmm. So for people, for people that don't know, at one point in time, elk were essentially all over the United States. Mm-hmm. But then... Europeans came, and then market hunting came, and of course we had rifles, and it's not we. We didn't do it. I wasn't there. People, people that are like us I would have had a bow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, the market hunters essentially 
almost wiped, wiped out the elk. Mm -hmm. And at the turn of the century, there were very few elk, very few deer, and then they had established some protocols and some wildlife conservation uh, ideas in place mm -hmm. in order to try to revive them. They've done an amazing job since then. And now foundations like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, what they've done is move elk into areas where they had been extirpated. So they, where they had been driven out of the area, or essentially extinct in this one particular region. Right. And now they have healthy populations. They're hunting. Yeah. I mean, they got enough to where they can manage them. Pennsylvania has a lot yeah. of elk now. Big bulls there. Yeah. yeah. I've seen them on, uh, on on the internet. A lot of... Yeah. No, and, and it's... And, you know, we talk about this every time about hunters and conservation and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. But those are the groups that, that uh, have fought to protect elk and elk habitat. And that's why they're doing so well. But so I think... In fact, here's a gratuitous crotch shot. Can you see that? Oh, that's a Rocky, Rocky Mountain, Mountain Elk Foundation, Foundation belt buckle. buckle. Step step back a little bit so people can see the the oh, glory wait. that is your belt buckle. That is my belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that they've done an amazing job. Yeah. And then obviously there's companies that have or uh, other foundations that have done an amazing job for waterfowl, protecting wetlands Ducks and for, yeah. yeah. And then for whitetails, I mean th there's more whitetail deer in America today than there were when Columbus came. That's what most people hunt is is whitetail too because they're in eastern southern US, you know, where elk are mostly out west, but they are you know, moving back east again, but yeah, most most hunters are whitetail hunters, and uh, th those that animal's doing amazing. Yeah, I mean, so amazing, so that they actually have to hire people to kill them in some places where they get too close to urban environments and they have a ton of car accidents. There's some states, and God, I wish I could. I don't know every state in in the bag limits, but uh, I'm thinking Alabama or somewhere down in there where you can kill a deer a day, as many as you want. There's no predators. There's no winter. So these animals aren't dying on their own. So, I mean, we just don't have unlimited habitat because humans take up space. So down there, the bag limit is a deer a day. Wow. And I don't know if it's Alabama, so don't, don't quote me on that. But, but it's I mean, one of those states. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have something like that similar in uh, some parts of Pennsylvania and New Jersey where they're in these suburban areas. I was watching a television show about it. I think it was one of those uh, reality shows where they had hired people to come in, bow oh, hunters, to yeah. hunt in suburban neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen something about that, too. There's, Shooting off back porches. And yeah, that. yeah. Well, I saw an, an episode of a hunting show the other day with T-Bone was doing that. Mm. T-Bone Turner was shooting. Uh, I love T-Bone. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's he awesome. He was shooting deer in uh, this backyard in between an above-ground swimming pool and a swing set. He shot a deer. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, if that so if, was a swing movie. No. Because he's a good shot. Yeah, he could probably I'm sure. Do, yeah, he's he time like, it. <laughs> yeah, time it. That'd be kind of fun. But. Two million car accidents happen every year just in North America with deer. Yeah, I'm sure. And 150 people die every year in car accidents. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there a guy that died in your neighborhood? Yeah, a deer went through a windshield of a van or something like that in uh, right in Eugene there. Yeah, didn't it like Killed hit him. the car in front of it? Hit it and then it flew into his. I don't know. Windshield? I now I can't remember the details. I think that's what you told me. Yeah. But it happens a lot. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's the, there's always that balance of uh, animal numbers and habitat and where we live and making it all work. Yeah, and that's where people get super emotional. People get very emotional about animals, you know? I mean, what is this? Whoa. 
Buck yeah. Deer crashes through SUV windshield, driver hurt. Yeah, that that's he, crazy. He didn't even die. That guy didn't die apparently. He just got an, hurt. But look escalate. at that. Yeah. God. <laughs> that is crazy. That looks like a mule deer. It's a big, big deer. Yeah. It'd come flying through your windshield. Yeah. People get super emotional about this. This is one of those subjects where ever whenever we're talking about hunting, like there's one way that we normally talk about it when it's just like you and I or maybe some other hunters mm-hmm. where we talk about how great it is, how much we love it, how great the meat is. Yeah. And then there's a way that you talk about it in public where you have to sort of temper that knowing there's a bunch of people that are listening that are going to get very emotional, that are mm-hmm. maybe anti-hunters. And some of them where it gets really weird also eat meat. Yeah. I. God, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sucker. I read the comments on social media and it's like, you tell me don't read them, but I think you do too. But anyway, and it's just some people, it's like, I saw one today and I think you mentioned that I was going to be on. Somebody said something like Joe for his whatever, I can't remember intelligent or in tune or something you are. I can't believe you hunt, you know, or can't whatever. It's just like, Check that dude's Instagram for a cheeseburger. Yeah, I mean... Check to see if he's got a cat that he's feeding murdered animals to. To me, I think if you are, you know, in tune with actually how the world and nature and and how we live and what we need, it, the more in tune you are, the more accepting you are of hunting. Not not the more you, you slide it, because it's how it works. It's how, it's how we survive. It's, you know, life eats life, and it's just like... It seems weird for people to think that, oh, I'm, I'm evolved past that and I'm smarter, more intelligent and you're a Neanderthal. It's just, it's opposite, really. Well, what they're trying to do, and I understand it and I appreciate it, what they're trying to do I don't. is move past the idea that we have to be cruel and that we have to kill animals and that we have to live off the suffering of other living creatures in order to survive. So mm-hmm. this is like the, the vegan idea, right? Yeah. So what they want to do is live off only plants and, you know, and not participate at all in any sort of slaughter of animals or any sort of cruelty. Mm-hmm. And in theory, it's a great idea. It's mm-hmm. a great idea because nobody wants to be cruel. No, Nobody wants I, to be vicious. I don't like to be cruel. I don't want my goal isn't to be cruel. I don't like seeing animals suffer. Right. That's the worst thing in my life is to see an animal suffer. Which sounds very contradictory coming from a guy who's it's killed a, a lot of animals. Hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't enjoy it. And and if it animal suffers, I feel bad. Right. But if it's a clean kill, it's better than anything that animal's gonna get in the wild. In what the I, wild that animal's gonna die either by freezing to death or being torn apart by predators because it's old or it's going to get injured and it's going to get torn apart. Take an antler. I found a dead bull last year that took an antler in the neck from fighting and who knows how long it took to bleed out. You know, maybe it broke its neck. Maybe it was paralyzed and it laid there and it took days to die. But a hunter and what I, the, the term I like to use is being merciful. I want to be ethical, quick and merciful when I kill an animal because that's, 100% 100% the opposite of how nature works. Well, this is one thing that you have said to me in private when we've talked about it. You know, we were saying that what you train for and what you strive for is so that in that moment you can make the most precise shot and kill that animal as quickly and as ethically and as efficiently as possible. And that yeah. that's, how, that's on your mind every time you release an arrow. Every time. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, so I just think people, I know it's hard to understand. 
I get it. If you haven't hunted and you haven't been in the mounds and you haven't seen how cruel nature can actually be, it's it's hard to comprehend. Yeah, it is. And it's also the reason why human beings are today are here today. The reason why we survived is because of hunting. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that you you can't be a vegetarian, you can't go vegan or no, it doesn't. You can do whatever you want to do. But the reason why human beings have made it to the top of the food chain is because we consumed animals. It's one of the primary reasons that biologists believe that our brains evolved past that of lower primates mm-hmm. is that we figured out fire, we figured out how to cook meat and the nutrients from that cooking meat along with the complex problem-solving issues that come up in hunting are one of the reasons why we evolved. Because to be smarter and more clever than these animals that are faster than you, smell better than you, hear better than you, see better than you, stronger than you, they have more endurance than you, these elk run up that mountain like it's a joke. Mm -hmm. I was huffing and puffing. I mean, I've been running a lot since we did that um, your keep hammering 5K yeah. last year, yeah. and I realized what a pussy I am. <laughs> and then, you know, times that we've hunted together, too, I've just been really out of breath. And even though I work out doing other things, I realize, like, you have to run hills. So yeah. There's no way around it. Right. So it helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. That was very nice to see. It was mm-hmm. very nice to see a big difference in my endurance now where I can keep up. Yeah. Whereas before, it was like a huge struggle because every day we were doing 10, 12 miles. Yeah. Yeah. But these elk go up there like nothing. Oh, I know. Like it's nothing. Yeah. So for a human, at one point in our evolutionary past, to figure out how to beat these things at their own game, trick them and get meat from them and survive, mm-hmm. and then develop strategy, strategies for that, mm-hmm. and then teach other people in their community these strategies. And this evolved. And this, this is the reason why you and I are talking today on microphones that are powered by electricity, that yeah. in this room, that shelter in this city, this complex uh, series of buildings that we've built a lot to protect us from the environment and from other animals. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been, I mean, quite a journey. And the part of that, so, yeah, we have evolved. Yes, we've got better. And we are, that's why we're different than an elk and other animals. That's, and we take advantage of that superiority and we use it to kill them, to eat them, to haul the meat home. But I, I just, for me, it's, you know, if it was about the killing, just killing, I wouldn't bow hunt. Bow hunting is very hard. Um, I would rifle hunt. If I just want to go out there and kill something, that would be, that's usually the most efficient way to get a kill is you it's rifle hunt. So maybe, maybe 10 times easier. I don't know. But with a bow, I just know how difficult it is. And, and, you know, you talked about the improvements you've made. You've been bow hunting now for four years. And um, I just want I do want to touch on um, it's been awesome to see the dedication you have to the craft of bow hunting. It is not easy. I mean, I know people who don't hunt see it and say, oh, you just enjoy killing animals out there. I just said if I if I just want to kill, I'd, I'd use a gun. It's, it is about the challenge and about the experience and it's not easy. And the, the improvements you've made in four years, and it's basically through obsession. I mean, to be great at anything, you need to be slightly obsessed and you have been, but that learning curve for hunting is so steep. It's like sometimes people, you know, because of how we've talked and, and, you know, the the stories we've shared on social media, it looks intriguing. It looks um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's powerful. So people, they want a piece of that. They want to know what that feels like to be ingrained in that world. And, you know, we get messages, Hey, I want to get started in bow hunting. And part of me is going, Oh my God, I want you to, but it's a long journey. It is hard. Yeah. It's, it's almost too much. 
It's not you know? too much. I because I want don't want to discourage Almost. anybody, but God, it's tough. Well, I mean, just even to get me, good enough. Listen, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. 1989, I killed uh, my first bull elk as a spike bull. And so since 1989, so this is 29 years of bow hunting. And I go into this season, just like I go into every season, and I wonder, is this going to be the season where I don't get any kill? Well, I have no success? Because it could happen. It's that hard. Sure. I, because I've killed before and had success for all these years, doesn't mean anything right now. Doesn't mean anything to an animal that I was pursuing in, in Utah, a big bull. That big bull could care less about, oh, you know, oh, he's had a lot of success over the years. It means nothing, you know. And so I always wonder, is this going to be the year where I can't get it done? And it completely changes your relationship to your food because all your meat that you're getting in your house is coming from your success bow hunting. Yeah. So when you are entering into a season and you're wondering whether or not you're going to get success, you're literally worrying whether or not you're going to be able to provide for your family the way you have been and over the not, past. And it's not like we're starving. Right. But okay, it's, it's like not, this is the way you've chosen to acquire no. meat, though, in this ethical, humane, wild way. When my family goes to the freezer and opens it, there's always elk meat in there. Always. That's what I do. I make sure we have, my family has meat to eat. So when they go to the freezer and open it and there's no elk meat, that's not good. I mean, yeah, we're not going to starve, but that's what we're used to. That's, that's, I've provided like that. My family, friends and family have called, hey, you got any elk meat you could spare? Got any hamburger? You know, whatever. Always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. That's, that's what I love to do. So yeah, I, don't want to, I don't want to face a prospect of not having that. Right. Yeah, I give away a lot of it. <clears throat> I'm constantly giving it to Brian Cowan. Yeah. Brian needs to get back on the horse. He hasn't had any success hunting in a couple of years, so he mooches off me. Did he? He's killed then. Yeah, he's got a few deer. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. He's yeah. never shot a bow before, um, but he's rifle hunted. I figured that's why he was so ripped is from all that <laughs> that uh, <coughs> lean meat and lean protein because he is a, a beautiful man. He's beautiful. Um, yeah, he <laughs> wants to get into bow hunting, but it's another one of those things. Like, yeah, you say you do, but do you really? You know, because if you do, it's going to take gotta, a lot you of your get time. All in, yeah. all in. You can't go halfway. No, and and there's the other thing that people love to say. You know, that meat is terrible for you, and you're going to get cancer and heart attacks and diabetes. People who keep repeating that, stop saying it because it's not true. Mm -hmm. You're you're wrong. I know you, you like to say that because it sounds good and it sounds like a really good argument for people that eat meat. It's absolutely untrue. And if you go back and look at the real studies, the only thing that they've shown is there's a connection between cancer and processed food. There is a connection between preservatives, nitrites, and a lot of the things that we use to make processed meat. So if you're talking about things like hot dogs and processed meats and, you know, kind of like beef sticks that you might get at the gas station, yeah, eat enough of those and your body's going to mm -hmm. revolt. It's yeah. not good for you. But wild game meat is some of the most nutritious and healthy things that you can put in your body. Yeah. And that's just a fact. And so people that keep putting these comments on Cam Haynes' Instagram page and occasionally on mine and all these different, <laughs> they, they always want to say this, Cam, you're going to get cancer. Good luck with your heart attack. 
it's not true. Yeah. And every study that has shown that it is true is bullshit. They've all been debunked by actual science. If you mm -hmm. look at the real people that are putting together these documentaries that show that meat causes diabetes, they are fools. And it's not true. It's been widely debunked. What they are is proselytizing vegans. Mm -hmm. They're vegans who want everyone to become vegan. So they're distorting truth and making documentaries that have no basis in actual reality and science. And if you just Google, like, um, what was the most recent one those guys did? What the health? Yeah, what the health. Google what the health debunked. And there's a ton of scientists that have no stake in the game. They're not, like, from the meat industry. They're just people that have seen, the, the doctors have reviewed it. There's people that have seen the actual facts and seen this documentary and go, this is nonsense. And so people regurgitate that stuff all the time. Yeah. I just yeah. want to tell people, like, go, just do some research, read some of the actual studies. Here's, here's what's bad for you. A sedentary lifestyle. Sedentary lifestyle is terrible for you. Sitting yeah, in your office that's number chair, one. sitting in your cubicle, yeah. eating too much, bad for you. High carbohydrate diets, bad for you. Getting too fat, bad for you. Drinking a lot of alcohol, bad for you. Drinking sugary sodas, bad for you. All those things are way worse for you than an elk steak. Way yeah. worse. So if you're eating any of those things or doing any of those things and you're saying, good luck with your heart attack, fuck off. Because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's true, and I uh, since we're since we're talking about it, one thing that I get, I think we have to be careful on, is uh, slamming. I guess the uh, the beef industry because I'm not we're not trying to do that. You know, people always say, you know, there's cattle ranchers out there that work hard that do it right, and you know there is factory farming which people, I feel like almost. I've been guilty of it, maybe throwing around factory farming, almost like a vegan will throw around good luck with that heart attack. Right. And there most, there's a lot of ranches that do it right. That yeah. have the, the cattle out there free ranging. And the only time that they're, they're in a small enclosure is when they are killed. Brought to slaughter. Yeah. Brought yeah. to slaughter. So, I mean, um, you know, I buy, I buy steaks still occasionally from, um, my buddy at E3. Uh, there's plenty of places that have, I don't know if you're going to look at, ethical beef production there's a lot of places that do it i agree and the same thing can be said with chicken and same thing you'd say with poultry with turkey there's a lot of free range and yeah. there's more of an emphasis i think that's one of the reasons why people become more and more interested in hunting today they're more people in who tune. do eat meat yeah well but, but uh, people are more concerned with the ethics behind how their food is raised. Right. You know, there's a lot of farm-to-table restaurants yeah. that are opening up, which are really amazing. Mm -hmm. You can go and you can, you know, I'm, and there's a place near me, and you get these eggs, and they're dark yolks, like a dark orange yolk at this restaurant, and mm -hmm. they have, like, grass-fed beef that tastes healthy. It tastes really good. Yeah. And that's the stuff we're supposed to be eating. We've gotten into this crazy situation as human beings where we're getting food that is, in a lot of ways, tasteless because it's been engineered to last forever on a right. shelf. We've gotten this meat that's gotten super fat because they're pumping them up with antibiotics and mm -hmm. feeding them grain until they you know, just become these fat, unhealthy things that are in no way resemble a wild creature. Well, we had a steak last night at the airport. Yeah. Well, Taste-wise, it's like I could barely taste it. Yeah, it was nothing, not much to it. Yeah. And but so I think that was also probably the way it was cooked. But what was really weird is the difference in the connection with that, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you sit down and you cook an elk steak, you remember 
where you were when you shot that. You remember how hard it was to get to that elk. You remember the stalk. You remember maybe maybe several blown stalks where the wind shifted on you and the elk spooked and took off and how difficult it is and the intense success. And that's another thing that people don't like, the idea of the happiness that comes with success when you kill something. Mm -hmm. But It's hard to understand, I think. Yeah. But it's... Yeah, I mean, it's an achievement, and it's not like, oh, we're we murdered something, so we're celebrating. But it's it's so hard. We talked about the difficulty. Um, you achieve something of, of great difficulty when that animal's dead, and then you're skinning it, you're cutting the meat off. I mean, you know, I took out the tenderloins of, uh, of the bull I killed, you know, and smelled it, made sure the meat— always just making sure because that that is the fruit of the labor right there is that meat so you just you're holding a big slab of steak and like you said you remember everything but mostly what i'm thinking of there is how clean it is how pure it is does it smell good smells perfect and that's just kind of the process it goes in the meat bag it goes on my back it comes off the mountain it goes in the cooler it goes to the processor it gets cut and frozen and wrapped and then then I cook it. That's a lot of, I mean, a lot of steps. We go to the airport. We say, uh, yeah, can I get the sirloin? That's it. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. And that's how most people do it. Yeah. And that's a weird place that we've gotten into as human and then, beings. And then hunters are judged negatively for having just that whole emotional thing and all the, the meaning and the feeling and the and the connection to it. and. And we're judged negatively for that, but the person who sits down and says, oh, I'll take the sirloin, that's good, wow, good to go. It's like, it should be opposite. It should, but you know what it is too? It's like the building is faceless, right? Okay, the restaurant is faceless. The supermarket is faceless. You have no idea who did the actual killing of the cow. When you go to the woods and you come out with an elk steak and you kill it and you're wearing a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation belt buckle mm -hmm. and your your Cam Haynes, like people can look to you. Well there, I found one. Yeah. Right there. Like you are the There's connection a son to of a death. Bitch. You're yeah. the connection to death. Yeah. Meanwhile, if someone was outside protesting you like they found out we're doing this podcast near like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. We're 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 the ones who put out the petition. We want to get you banned from Under Armour. You're a terrible person. You're a trophy hunter. You're out there killing animals. All around them mm -hmm. is dead animals. Every gas station is filled with beef sticks. Every restaurant is filled with dead animals. Yeah. Every supermarket is filled with dead animals. In this area where we're at, there are a hundred places that you can walk to inside of three minutes that have dead animals in them. Yeah, but they're, they'd be protesting here. They'd Me. be protesting here, you, because you're a face. face. Yeah. You're, and meanwhile, that's what's so back ass words about it. Mm -hmm. It's because we're doing it the right way. You're, yeah. you're doing not saying you have to do it that way, but if you wanted to have the most, this is a weird word, spiritual connection mm -hmm. to your food. Mm -hmm. It's, there's no, it is, it's, there's nothing else I've ever experienced that's even remotely close. Right. Yeah. I mean, and there's, I guess to some people, some people are getting it. You know, there's some people that would protest out here. It wouldn't matter what justification you had. Yeah. They were never going to see it. And that's fine because we're all different. You know, we all have different passions. So that group of people, whatever. But there's a people in the middle that we have, they have heard and they have thought about it and they have, you know, realized that does make, that actually makes sense. And those are the people that want to know what it'd be like to be a provider for themselves, to go to go into the mountains and, and to come 
loaded loaded out with uh you know a pack full of meat and so those are the people i guess we're talking to we're never yeah. going to get the extreme people no i mean and that's always going to be the case with all arguments there's always going to be radical people uh -huh. on all sides you know and i think uh our job as human beings communicating to other human beings is to try to relay our own experiences mm -hmm. as clear and as honest as possible and that's why i always try yeah. to look at it from the other point of view I always try to look at it from what people that I think are good people that become vegans because they're good people, because they want to have no cruelty. Mm -hmm. And I think they just have a perspective that I don't share. And that perspective is I've actually been involved in, I've, I've gone through the ritual of the hunting, I've gone through the trials and tribulations of hiking many, many miles and trying to find these things and trying to figure out the wind. And and it hasn't all been success. No, it's a lot of failure. It's a lot of failure. It's more success lately than ever, but that's just because I've worked harder than ever. And then it kept yeah. more and more dedication, more time, being obsessed, more time practicing. I practice every day. Yeah. I'm shooting every day. It's, uh, you know, people see the success. They see the pictures. If it's somebody they want to hate, it's me they hate. I'm sitting there with the dead elk. But hunting is such a roller coaster. It's like everything is magnified. The success is magnified because it's so hard. The failure is magnified because it hurts so bad because you've worked so hard. I mean, I just, I, it took me, I started, like I said, in 1989. It took me to 1996 to kill my first six-point bull elk in the wilderness. And it, and it would have been we wouldn't even have looked at it on this last hunt. It would have been like, ah, there's a little bull. I mean, but when I when I got that six point bull elk, I felt so proud. I finally achieved. I mean, that's that's a bull on this buckle right here is a, a a six point, and I thought I finally did it. But in between there had been so many disappointments and devastations, and in the wilderness, I remember one time I'd been in there by myself. Um, think like day eight I was in this dry creek bed and here comes these cows come across here comes this big bull and I don't know how big he was he's pretty big for there you know 320 330 which is a scoring number um it would have been which is calculating the length of all the, the points of the antlers right so it would have been still slightly smaller than the bulls we just killed and he came across there and I'm on my knees and I shoot and uh I I hit if you hit him in the shoulder back then, um, the bows weren't as efficient as they are now. But if you hit him in the shoulder blade, it went in about, I would say, an inch, inch and a half. Arrow hit his shoulder blade, stopped, and basically fell out. And he went running off, and I went up and picked up my arrow, and there's blood just on the broadhead. And to them, you know, something like that is they might have a sore shoulder for a little while. They take antlers and the guts and neck and all the time. So they heal up like they, unbelievable. They're, they're amazing. So that was nothing, essentially nothing more than a flesh wound. But I remember sitting there looking at my arrow, looking at the little bit of blood on my broadhead, and I mean, eyes welling up with tears because eight days just there, but working all year towards that moment and having that opportunity at 43 yards. And being inches off, because inches further to the right back would have been double long, dead bull, biggest bull ever, all the hard work paid off, to being devastated. So people see the success some 20 years later or whatever it's been. They don't 
to be to feel as disappointed as I was to to wonder if all the work was worth it to hurt that bad. They don't see that. But that's why hunting is so powerful. That's why hunting has changed my life because it's so difficult and because there's those ups and downs and you know we try to, we do a better job of sharing the complete journey now than back in the day you just you know it'd just be like hey I killed this bull that's it you know you'd go to the archery pro shop you put your picture up of, of the bull that you killed and that was it now we're a little more in tune i see all sorts of people on social media now and they 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 show the picture of their bull and they get down you read the caption it's about you know providing for their family and and pure protein in their freezer so we we're doing a better job of explaining it but still until you've been there it's really hard to grasp w what it all means no i don't i don't think anybody's going to i don't i don't think it's it's possible it's it's also it's something more it's a it's a discipline but it's something more like sometimes people call bow hunting a sport and i always kind of cringe yeah i don't like that either cuz i think it's not a word for it no it's i don't not think a sport. there's a i don't think it's a comparative word i think it's bow hunting I think yeah. it is what it is because I don't, I don't I think it's a lifestyle is what I say. Yeah. You have to be immersed in the lifestyle to, to really understand it. A sport makes it seem like, you, you know, keeping score. Well, to me, it's a lot like jujitsu in that way too, where if you talk to people who train in jujitsu a lot, they understand how difficult it is and they understand the struggle and they understand that in that struggle, like all struggles, every, I think people need struggle. I think it's very important. Yeah. Like, you you get better not just at the jujitsu or not just at the bow hunting you get better at being a person mm -hmm. and i feel better today after this trip in utah than i felt before i left not that i felt bad before i left i felt great but i feel energized why and i feel energized because of the experience i feel energized because of the struggle i feel energized because of how difficult it was to hike those mountains up and down and chasing those elk around and and having things blow out and getting back to the to the, the lodge and being so tired that you could just barely eat your food and then i'm passing out almost like out of as i'm done eating mm -hmm. and then i crash and the alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning and then you're out there in the dark doing it again yeah and then to have success so to, to understand that you can push through things and you can get better mm -hmm. and you can practice things and you can get better. And that applies to everything in life. It does. It's a discipline, but it's discipline like almost no other because it's not just a discipline. It's a discipline that also sustains you and your family. And it's a discipline that involves like real critical moments of life and death. Like when I was drawing back on that bull and I'm looking at this bull through a very small window where I could shoot between these two trees, 32 yards away. And Colton, who was the guy, paused this bull. He made a cow sound like, meow, mm -hmm. like right where that bull needed to stop. Like the bull walked in, he, he cow called it, it stopped. And that critical moment where you have to make a perfect shot in a split second. An intensity. The is intensity skyrocketing. is insane. Yeah. It's like nothing else. Yeah. It's, it's, and to do it, mm -hmm. and to do it successfully, and yeah. to have that elk die in seconds, and to have that elk wander off 20 yards, like seeing it bleed out of both sides, knowing this is it. And this is probably, no, not probably, definitely, unless he falls off a cliff, mm -hmm. this is the cleanest, fastest death this thing is ever going to have. Yeah, yeah. No, and... And, um, and I'm going to eat it tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know. There's so much reverence in the moment. I... 
what I like, and we talked about this film and, and, and capturing it and hopefully what the message we can convey with the film, but you did a great job after that shot of really just, uh, I guess, verbalizing you, how you felt then and, and kind of everything you just said, but more authentic because it, it was, you were right there. there. It was not thin. a recreation. It was real. And, yeah. the, and the bull was laying there dead. And uh, it's, um, I don't know. It's intense. I wish there was a way people could get it. I think these kind of conversations help a little bit. And I know for people listening, there's some people that go, oh, you guys are redundant. You're just defending hunting, hunting yeah. again. So boring. Next. Zzz, Anytime boring. I see a guy with a baseball hat on. So yeah. I almost didn't wear a hat today, but why baseball hats? They don't like baseball hats. <laughs> Excuse me, I got it. I've been coughing forever. Um, no, what, they don't what like. About, huh? What's about what about baseball hats? They don't like baseball hats. What? You, where's this coming from? I saw it on your comments. You gotta stop reading those. <laughs> I know. I think mostly. Um, what kind of hats they like? Berets. I'm a painter. I one, love the arts. One a, a t-shirt I wanted to make up. No, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> not gonna say it. <laughs> My uh, my T-shirt ideas sometimes aren't the greatest. Well, or most positive. They're, they're hilarious when no one's around. They can be Some funny. Them, the one about rain gear is awesome. Oh my god! <laughs> so I try to I try to be positive. I mean, I yeah. Anyway, well, um, positive except when you're just being funny. See, that's like that's what I do for a living. Yeah. Like when people say, well, well, that's pretty negative. Well, it's not really because I don't mean it. Yeah. You know, like my friends will say some of the rudest shit about me and I'll laugh my ass off. Yeah. Because I know I mean they're it, just being I mean funny. it a little bit. You mean it a little bit, but that's yeah. what makes it funny. Yeah. If you didn't mean it at all, if there was no <laughs> truth to it at all, yeah. there'd be no humor to it at all. Um, I, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, you know, we talk about the struggle and the, uh, the hardship. Um, Adam Greentree, our friend, <sighs> You know, he he had, uh, and a lot of people here followed along on his journey. And Tell the, everybody what, what happened. Yeah, and his journey will be, so he hunted three different states over the course of about three weeks. and uh, By himself. By himself, solo, in the backcountry. With a tiny little tent. Yeah, he hunted Colorado, then he went to Montana, then he ended up killing a bull in Idaho. If you look on the surface of it, if you didn't understand, you'd think, wow, he hunted three states and he killed a five-point bull. Wow, that was, you know, that's a lot of effort for that. But to him and to people who, who embrace struggle, it's, it's not just that a five-point bull died. That was a journey, and that was the end of the journey, and there was success, and there was, you know, there was fail tons of failure along the way. Well, the best part about it was that he documented the entire thing on Instagram. Yeah, he did. He did it on his Instagram story, and I let people know. I put up a bunch of posts about it, and one of the posts that sent his followers skyrocketing was him holding a pistol, and then in the distance. He took a photo of this crazy bastard yeah. in the moment. There's a fucking giant grizzly standing on its hind legs looking at him from, it looked like no more than 50, 60 yards away, yeah. and he's holding up a pistol. And I said that it's one of the most, like, you could see it there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that looks like it may be, at the most, probably oh, 100. Oh, that's a video. So it'll, I think it stands up Oh, here. is this his video? Yeah. That look, that gun looks like it's 200 years old. I don't think it is. I think it's just out of focus. Oh. It's kind of. But, yeah. I mean, that, you know, it, that's a phone video. So, I mean, it's way closer than it looks. 
Yeah, keep standing up to try to figure out where he is yeah. and what he's doing. And in a moment like that, they just keep standing up. I don't want to shoot her, but I don't mind me life either, so fucking open that bitch's head up if she comes for me one more time. I just can't imagine what it would be like there, well, being out there for 20 plus days yeah, by yourself. A moment like that is, you know, we're pretty used to being around people. I mean, if something happened here, I know you'd do whatever you could. Jamie would do whatever he could to help. You know, if we needed help in that, nobody's coming. You're by 100%. He's by himself. And that those type of experiences where else are you going to get that so he's in he's in the mountains there's a, a bear that the bear is just doing what bears do right and but that and he's immersed himself into that world and that's all part of this whole process and whole journey but that's what intrigued everybody that was following along is because that's as real as it gets yeah you know and he's surviving and we talked about you know on our hunt we got back tired we were able to go to be dry and everything else uh, in that in a tent. You're getting in a tent. If you were wet when you got in the tent, you're going to be wet in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it it's was uncomfortable. A, it's uncomfortable. And I, 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 you know, that's what I grew up doing because I had no other option. That was, I mean, I could hunt Oregon for $25 on, on an elk tag and hunt public land. And that's all I did for decades because that was the only option I have. And that is, that is difficult. And like I said, you question why you're doing it. And people would say, you know, I'd kill like a, if I saw a five point bull, like what Adam killed, I would kill it and be happy. And people say, you don't need to work that hard to kill an elk. You know, you could kill that bull off, off a gravel road and, and you know, a truck camp. But to me, that's not what it was about. It was about the, the whole journey in the wilderness and surviving and, and navigating and problem solving and yeah maybe it wasn't the biggest bull in the world but that's just one piece of the puzzle yeah there is a difference between and i have done this a few times between camping and staying in a lodge staying mm -hmm. in a lodge is way nicer oh yeah you know like we, we were in utah we would go back to the lodge and it was, you know, you and me and our buddy Ben O'Brien was there and was lots of laughs and we were having a good time. We'd all eat dinner together and just yeah. shoot the shit. When you're in the woods and you're camping, you're still in the woods. You, there's no, like, the lodge is civilization. Yeah. There's electricity. There's hot water. You can take a shower. When you're in the woods, you stay in the woods. Mm -hmm. When you camp, you wake up, you're in the woods. You're, you, it's a more immersive experience. And then there's the next level, which is what Adam did, yeah. in the woods by himself for many, 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 many days before he had success. And no. then there's video of him after he shot that elk 20-whatever days in mm -hmm. when you know he's like, it's finally over. Yeah. It's finally over. It's like yeah. that guy just went on a vision quest, yeah. you know? So much respect for that. You know, I mean, he is so tough and he's, um, bow hunting means, I don't know if you, if you tried to explain, tried to explain what, how, what does bow hunting mean to you? You couldn't do it with words for somebody like him, you know? And, 
and I, I would lump myself in there. It's like boning defines who I am, who he is. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I know I've done seminars before and I've asked people, okay, how, if there's a hundred or 200 people there, how many people have stayed out in the woods in the mountains by themselves for one night? Hardly, never, really? hardly anybody. I mean, how many people do you know that have stayed out in the woods by themselves for a night? I just know a few because I know hunters like Remy and you and Green Tree and a right. few other folks. Right. So most people, they don't like to be by themselves. No, not they in don't, the woods. They, and they want to feel safe. Yeah. So for Adam to do that for three weeks, that says something because hardly anybody ever does it. Right. You know, and so he did that, loved it. I think he loved it. His video said he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, it's hard to speak for maybe him. Maybe he didn't always love it, but no, I, I, I can't speak for him, but I can speak for myself and know that you don't always love it. Um, there's times where I, I would question, like I said, what am I doing? Is this worth it? Mm. But you'd fight through that. And then, and then you'd, you know, come out stronger and be ready for the next challenge and Hopefully it paid off. I think any experience in nature is good for people. I think we spend entirely too much time in cities, entirely too much time indoors and buildings and uh, artificial lighting and all that stuff. I think any experience in nature at all is good for you. It's just good to be grounded and, and literally grounded, like to feel the ground and to, to understand that this is this is the wild world. This is the, the real world. Mm -hmm. This other thing is this nerfed out thing that we've sort of concocted as human beings. But the more time you spend in there, the more it reveals itself to you. Yeah. And there's a weird, empty loneliness to true wilderness. Like when you're at the top of a mountain and you don't have any cell signal and you don't see a building anywhere as far as the eye can see, you don't see, there's no, we're nowhere near city when we're out there. Mm -hmm. When you sit up there and you look out and you hear a coyote howl and you see an eagle fly overhead and you know, you hear an elk bugle, you, you just, it's just... There's nothing like it. No, it's the the real wild. I mean, these things they, they don't they don't know you're a real thing. They don't care. Yeah. they're not. They they care if you get close to them. They'll run away. But what they're there to do is what they've been doing for thousands of yeah. years. Yeah, and that's it's such it's so different. You talk about how you know we got to LAX last night, and I'm just <laughs> walking around going, and I like I don't 100 percent feel this way, but I'm like I told told you I'm like. I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, there was so many. Cause it's I just, like, we went from no people. Oh, and that's, it's so uh, enriching and so, I don't know what. Yeah. I keep saying powerful. I don't know. I, it's I a good word. But, I use it all the time. But, Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag powerful. Powerful Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, but in the mountains, it's, uh, I don't know. It's so simple. Life is so simple. It's like. It is and it isn't, right? Because it's super complicated. Like to survive out there, you have to have a lot of things work in your favor. Yeah, but it's simple because either you survive or you don't. Yeah, but it's not that simple, that simple. because it's like <laughs> either you kill a bull yeah. or you don't, or or you eat berries. Adam made a lot of berries. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's that's what I like. I like about that it's simple. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no different social classes of people. There's no. That's very important, right? Yeah. That, that's there's a. There's a thing that happens out there where you're clearly defined by your ability to perform under pressure only. Like yeah. if you're if you go out there and you're some famous rock star or something like that, you're some, you know, some guy who lives in a giant mansion and flies around in a private jet and you own an island 
but you choke when you're going in to shoot time. a bull and you shoot it in the dick. Yeah. And everybody knows. You're a loser. You're a loser. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a, a leveling. There's out there, it's like the people who get respect, hunters get, re I mean, if you, uh, um, you know, if you can navigate, if you can see elk, if you can uh, read blood, if you're blood trailing, you can, you, you got woodsmanship, you can unravel a blood trail, you can start a fire, you're here. Yeah. It doesn't matter about how much money you have or who you are. If you can't do any of that stuff, well, you're, you're lower. To me, it was incredibly important to be able to perform during crunch time. Yeah. Because I wanted the respect of the people that also do it. Mm -hmm. I wanted, in, and to get that was very important. To be able to, in that moment, and I spent so much time thinking about it, going over uh, podcasts and uh, all that Joel Turner stuff about target panic and mm -hmm. about uh, closed loop and open loop mind systems and how your brain functions under pressure and thinking about all these different things. Yeah. I this put might, a lot of thought to this it. This might sound ridiculous to somebody who hasn't shot a bow. That like, what? No, you just pull back and shoot, right? No. 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 It's When you're looking at a 900-pound forest horse with spears growing out of its head and yeah. it's screaming... And there's one shot. You have one opportunity. And mm -hmm. by the way, you only have one tag. And if you wound an animal, it's over. Yeah. If you if you just shot it in the ankle and it starts bleeding, guess what? Your tag's over. Yeah. The money that you spent is done. You failed. And that thing lives to be, you know, lives to be an elk and lives another day. For another day. And you uh, you go back disappointed and you have to start from scratch and yeah. rebuild yourself. Yeah. And that's good, too. The failure and the feeling of failure is the real motivator. That's yeah. what, what makes you run more miles, shoot work more hard. arrows, work yeah. hard, think about it, think your way through this thing. Mm -hmm. And to me, that... That leveling of the social classes is very important. You know, it's something that I, I think jujitsu does as well. Um, there's another parallel in that because, and even comedy does that as well. Because if you're not funny, people don't laugh and they don't like you. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you have to be able to do the thing. And sometimes the thing doesn't work out and then you feel like fucking terrible. Yeah. You know, and that leveling of the classes that happens in bow hunting is, uh, is, it's hard to, I mean, I keep saying it's hard to describe because it really is. Mm -hmm. I think anything that's very difficult to do, you find out more about yourself. Yeah. And when you find out more about yourself, you have two options. Either you can go into denial or ignore it or, you know, fade back or you could face it and struggle more mm -hmm. and get better yeah. and, and really work at it. And that's where I think bow hunting shares a lot of a lot of its aspects with other difficult but yet important things in mm -hmm. life is that become they become a vehicle for developing your human potential yeah and uh, you know, running is like that too well look what it's done for you i mean the, your your passion and obsession with elk hunting is what led you to being this crazy ultra marathon runner mm -hmm. i mean that's really what started it all yeah off. i wanted to be better in the mountains yeah better at be, in I never really understood until I hunted with you, because mm -hmm. when we, you would run up the top of a fucking hill, when an elk would go over the top, and you'd run up the hill, and I would just be struggling to go a quarter of the way, and I'd have to take a break, and then I'd go a little further and take a break, and you were already over up there, and you weren't even out of breath. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get this now. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, there's a lot to this. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and that's uh, you know you talked about it, it is it's it's crazy that bow hunting has done what it's done. I've been on Joe Rogan nine times. Jamie, is this Jamie the ninth t- time? Nine times. <laughs> and you know, I I don't for me personally because I just feel like I'm okay at bow. I'm decent at bow hunting, and it's like just the fact that I was even here one time seems r- surreal. But what I I just I want to think. I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier. Is because of bow hunting, and people. I know people will say because I again I read the comments, but don't read the comments. They'll talk about that. Uh, oh, it must be nice for Joe to be able to hunt wherever. I mean, where we were was amazing. Elk is like that's where we elk hunted is where I feel like I've had to work my whole life to get to. To dream. To yeah. killing bulls on public land. To to starting with a spike bull. To thirty years of this, and it's a dream. And it's like I I will never take for granted what it means to hunt where we were hunting in Utah. But it seems crazy to think that you grew up in Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Right. You had the whole different journey. You weren't some kid bow hunting, but you were a comedian and a fighter and a whatever. But bow hunting brought us together and we shared this this life-changing time in Utah from completely opposite paths. And so whether that's, uh, you know, you, you took your path to get to the best elk hunting in the world, I took my path, it doesn't matter. We were hunters there, sharing the mountain and taking on the challenge together. And that's what bow hunting does. It's like eliminates, you know, you're here in L.A., it eliminates everything, and we're the same. Yeah, all very difficult pursuits. But we're Eliminate the same there. Eliminate all the bullshit, yeah. And it's... it's yeah. There's not very many things that can do that. We named right. a few of them. Yeah. But it's just like, when you think about it like that, it seems unreal. It I does think. seem unreal. But that also sort of really clearly defines why this discipline is so important to you and I. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, I don't know, I think it's, and, and hopefully we've opened the eyes of others to see that, I don't know, to see to want that same type of experience. You know, you might not yeah. be the same. It might yeah. not, not everybody's gonna get to where we hunted in Utah because well, it's like- a great public land hunt. I mean, I was listening to Brian Barney's podcast, the Eastman Elevated podcast, where he took a couple of buddies, uh, when I was actually cutting up meat today, I was listening to this, took a couple of buddies with him on a public land hunt in Montana, mm-hmm. and they got into some elk, and they, they seemed like they had an amazing time. They yeah. got rained out. I mean, it was the same sort of thing. It's an amazing adventure. You know, it's available in a lot of different forms to a lot of people. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that go, oh, you know, this is bullshit. You know, Joe gets to do this, and Joe's lucky, and this and that. I think yeah. it's hashtag bullshit. Hashtag bullshit. Yeah, guess what? I'm lucky. I've always been lucky. I don't know what to no. do. You want me to be unlucky? I can't. I'm just lucky. I mean, maybe I'll be unlucky someday. But you worked someday. your ass off. Yeah. That's I also mean, part of luck. Part of luck is you have to, it's, what is that, that phrase? Like <laughs> luck is when uh, opportunity meets preparation. You know, that's right. uh, what yeah. some people say. It's that, but it's also luck. You know, there's, there's people that are luckier than you, <clears throat> you know? And by, by the way, there's people that are way fucking luckier than me. You don't think Justin Bieber's luckier than me? That little cunt, he's never yeah. been poor in his life. He's right. worth a hundred million bucks, and he's like twenty years old. Yeah. He probably has no cum in his body. He's probably every day just <laughs> drained. He probably just has to eat raw eggs all day just to try to just try to keep up. Yeah, stay he's, hydrated, Justin. Yeah. 
stay hydrated, kid. Yeah. We're, we're counting on you. I mean, that little fucker's way more lucky Keep than hammering. Me. There's always, <laughs> there's, literally, there's, there's always going to be people that are luckier than you. Yeah. And some of it is luck and some of it is courage. Some of it is putting your ass out there. Some of it is trying things. One of the things that I always like to tell people that I think you should do is do shit that's difficult. It's very important to struggle. And it doesn't mean bow hunting. I like yoga class for the same reason. I go in there, it's me and a bunch of housewives, mm -hmm. and they're kicking ass more than I am. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I watch these ladies, and I watch their mental strength and fortitude while they're grueling their way through this 104-degree temperature, holding these poses. I'm watching the sweat pour off their face, and they're not complaining. Yeah. They're just in there grinding. You know, and, and that's, that's fucking so important in this life. This life doesn't have enough of that. There's not enough struggle. You don't get to know yourself without struggle. You don't get to know your boundaries unless you push them. You don't get to know who you are really unless you're tested. And there's too many weak pussies out there's there. There's a lot of pussies out there. And so those are the people that drive me crazy because everything you just said is so true, but there's so many people that would rather stand on the sidelines and say, oh, must be nice. Bullshit. Yeah, must be nice to be able to <laughs> blah blah blah. It's like yeah. shut up. Yeah, it is nice. But it's guess awesome. What? You worked your ass yeah. off. Come follow me, bitch. Yeah. Come come do what I do. Yeah. Good luck. Those are it's the like, people. When you were talking about uh running with someone you were in involved and someone was behind you and they were like running right on your 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 tail and you're like, Oh, let's see how this works out for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it's not it's not even a cocky thing. It's like no. there's no way a regular person is gonna keep up with you in a race. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Let's see how this works out. <laughs> yeah. And that's... But that's just because they're not getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I follow your Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're you're fucking running before work. Right. You know, you're running a marathon a day for people that don't know. Mm -hmm. You run you're literally preparing right now. While Cam is in the middle of bow hunting season, he takes a little bit of time off of this fucking insane preparation, which is good because it allows his body to heal. But he's gonna compete in the Moab in October that is 238 fucking miles. Mm -hmm. It's a straight race. It's not 238 miles over the course of a month. No, no, no. no. It's 238 miles from beginning, ready, go, to the race is over, 238 miles. It'll take what, three days? I don't know. We don't know. 78 don't know. hours to do 205, right? The right. Bigfoot 200 that yeah. he did. So, he ran yeah. 205 fucking miles in 78 hours. So shut your mouth. Yeah. You know, if you think, oh, must be nice, must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's levels to this life. There's levels to this, this um, to dedication, to discipline, to drive, to focus, to obsession. There's levels to it. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting on the sideline going, must be nice, guess what, pussy? Yep. You're not this, doing this. This is Moab here. God damn. Look at this horrendous fucking terrain. Yeah. So you, they're running on a mountain. Jesus Christ. Look, look at this video. For people who are listening only, I urge you to please go. Jamie, what is the video? Official trailer for the Moab 200. Moab 200. In, I love how they call it 200. Meanwhile, it's 238. Like, oh, I did I it. No, you're not, pussy. You got another 38 miles. No. But the terrain is fucking insane. Yeah. It's so, insane. So the, that, that's Moab. I've never run in Moab, which is the draw for me. You know, um, I've been in the mountains a lot. I haven't been. What's going to be tough about this race specifically is you see how there's no shade. So that's what, what we call that is it's exposed. You're exposed the whole time to the sun. 
And that, that looks like Candace right there, who's the race director. She's running this in this trailer right here. Um, so this is her brainchild, basically. And uh, she must be a savage. She is. She's a total stud. I mean, she's God, she's look at this terrain. She's run a bunch of uh, done really well in hundred mile ultras. This terrain is fucking magnificent. Right. So being exposed like that, that just sucks everything out of you. The sun can just sap you, and uh, keeping your your skin covered um, as well as you can, keeping hydrated, keeping fueled up. That's just uh, the name of the game. You know? Now, what shoes will you be running in? Um, it'll be, you know, my Under Armour fat tires is what I'll be running in because that much pounding for that long, um, the cushion for my body is important and mm -hmm. imperative, basically. And the fat tires, the Under Armour fat tires, how much different are they than the Under Armour fat tire hunting boots? Because I know they have those too. Uh, the, the soles are similar. Similar. Yeah. Is yeah. much cushioning? Yeah. Okay, yep. so you get a good amount of cushioning and also a good amount of traction, right? Because yep. basically the fat tires, the way they're, they're the reason why they're named that way is because they essentially the bottoms of them are like a BMX road yeah, it's racing a mountain bike mountain bike tire. Yeah, they had a mountain bike tire called Fat Tire, mm -hmm. and I think Michelin made it. So Michelin makes these these same soles for the Under Armour shoes, and that's what I generally train in because running a marathon a day as you that's what i was trying to do before season season is kind of um hopefully it's going to pay season. off yeah hunting yeah. season has, has interrupted my training but i i sort of had this this game plan where this would be the time i'd recover so um my whole training slogan is uh, train hard hunt easy meaning that i want my training to be harder than any hunt i could go on so the hunt seems like it's easier, easier than my training. And that's, that's kind of what's been going on. The, I mean, the Utah country was tough. It was high. It was steep. There's lots of walking, but it was easier than running a marathon a day. Right. So I felt, I felt good. There's the fat tires. Yep. So those shoes also allow you to run over like sharp rocks and things and it, it'll absorb that. So it'll give your uh, feet some protection. Yeah, Obviously, this is an incredibly difficult pursuit that you're about to. Yeah, there they are. There, that that was a photo back home. But uh, um, yeah, those shoes—they've worked well for me. Uh, they're great. They've kept my body healthy with all the pounding. You know, people always ask about knees and and hips and everything else. Yeah, and, you know, I run a lot in those minimalist shoes, but I don't. I don't think you could. I mean, maybe you could. Does anybody run these fucking ultra marathons in minimalist shoes? No. You just can't, right? Not that I've ever seen. It just you, seems like it's too much. But there's, you know, everybody's different. Right. There uh, there probably is somebody who can because right. they're 20-some years old and they feel great and they're, for whatever Maybe reason. Maybe they've been doing it in those shoes for a long time. Their body mechanics are different than mine. Mm -hmm. You know, they're lighter than me. So, yeah, maybe they could. So it's I never lump anybody in like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. They might be able to. I can't. That's another thing, too, about you is that you're lifting a lot of weights, too, because you need it for you, – you also need strength for hunting. You need strength to pull the bow back. You need strength to be able to pack out the meat. There's a lot of other aspects to like what you need out of your body right. that maybe the regular ultra marathon endurance runner doesn't. Yeah, it's you know I've tried to, I've tweaked my training over the years. There was a time where all I was doing was running 20 miles a day, not lifting, hardly eating, and I was down to 150 some pounds. So now I try to I that didn't work that great for hunting because I'm trying to pack meat and in the mountains. And you you just felt tired. On. Yeah, I just didn't feel I, I just didn't feel at my best. I could still kill. I could still get get the job done, but I felt like I wasn't at my best. So now I feel like 
what I do now, this is a, a small shirt, so it's like don't don't be tricked by that. I'm filling out the shirt too much. That's Just, size small. Size small. How dare you? <laughs> That's because it, Jed. Fucking Jed. I know. He's got a Grateful Dead shirt on. Out yeah. There. I'm like, hey, you Son got any? Bitch. You got any size mediums for me? And he's like, oh, they're all gone. So here I am. I stuck with the small, so I might look like I'm more jacked than I really am. You're pretty jacked, dude. I worked out with you. <laughs> Stop. But it's just unusual for someone who's an endurance athlete who does like these long, you know, 200 plus mile races to yeah. actually be packing on a lot of muscle. Yeah. It's for one of the reasons why whenever someone would talk about UFC fighters not being able to make the weight or you know mm -hmm. whatever you know complaints they have about not being able to make weight i'm like my friend cam literally you make your body eat itself mm -hmm. to drop down you were at 180 plus pounds mm -hmm. before you started and then when you went to run the bigfoot 200 you had you were you were burning 3000 calories and eating 2000 right yeah You're a thousand calorie deficit so if it was if i was burning four i'd eat three so or if i was burning three i'd eat two so, something like that so i tried to to uh, be at a deficit of a thousand calories every day, and your body was just eating itself. Yeah. So when I went into that race, I was 160. What was I? 165, and I had been at 184. So I lost 19 pounds just at that calorie deficit. And just the key with those is being light. You know, the lighter you are. I mean, the best ultra runners are generally 140 pounds, maybe six foot. You know, I mean, just light and. That's just to be efficient. That is it works longer best. legs is more efficient? Is that why it's better to be six foot and really skinny? No, nah, I'm just, I mean, maybe I'm just kind of generalizing, but uh, that seems like those are good runners are about that size. Is that like Goggins, David Goggins? Would, would... I think he's a little bigger. He, he's, he's more muscular than most. Yeah. Um, and he's, but he's a freak. He's a mental freak. He's a freak. I Dude, mean, that so, guy's so inspiring. You ever listen to him talk about all the time. Like, mental toughness? All the time. I listened to, uh, he did a podcast with uh, Rich Roll. Oh, there's another guy I love. Yeah. And so I listened to him on that podcast. I've listened to it like three times because anytime you think that, oh, you got it hard or you can't do this or you can't do that, come on. There's levels. Come on. There's levels. So he, and that's another one, you can't lump everybody into the same category and say, well, if David Goggins did this. You can't do what David Goggins no, does because no. you're not David Goggins. Right. If you want to become David Goggins, good fucking love. I don't stop when I'm tired. I stop when I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's intense. He has another saying that I think of all the time when I'm running that most people quit at 40%. Yeah, I know. And that's, and that's a hundred percent true. And uh, I found that you know, there's lots of times where I want to quit, and I think of. Click on that picture right there, Jamie, the, where you see his abs that you just you had just had your right cursor. Here. Yeah, that's a jack dude for someone who runs hundreds of miles. And he, did you know he was over 300 pounds twice in his life? Yeah, fat and lethargic, and he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So yeah, he's, look at him there. He's over 300 there. They said he had to lose something like 100 or 80 pounds in just a number of months, and he did. Yeah, and didn't he also break a world record in suffering is the true test of life? Ooh. No, he he broke the world record that's in pull-ups. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. How many pull-ups did he do? 4,030. In how many minutes? 17 hours. 24-hour pull-up. Yeah, he, but what it, but, in the fuck? But he did it Let's in, see think, some video. in 17 hours. What do his shoulders look like? What's the inside? It's just all scar tissue holding that thing together? Let's see if they could find a video, Jamie. Because I've seen a video of him doing David completed 2,588 
pull-ups in 566 sets for a total of 4.6 pull-ups per set, 1,000 pull-ups in 2 hours, 48 minutes, and 2,000 pull-ups in 3,034 minutes. But at 13.5 hours in, he felt something in his wrist snap and was not able to go on. An x-ray at 10.30 confirmed a partial tear in his forearm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's, that's when he, fa- he failed twice to break the record, and then he, he ended up getting it. Wow. See if you can get to a video, because there's a video of him doing it, and it's just yeah. savage. He would do like he um, set his forearm apart. He, he would do like sets of five. So he'd do five, then drop down, take a break for a sec, do five more, and he kept doing that. Is what I when I saw that. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> that's that Pavel Tatsulin's idea of uh, strength training. Uh, I think I've told you that. Yeah. That yeah. he believes that you should only like if you can do sets of more than five that what you're doing is bodybuilding right and that you should do five with very clean technique take a big break and then do another five and then just keep yeah. doing it for long periods of time like ideally maybe some people don't have the time to do those kinds of workouts but he believes you should do like with five to ten minute rest in between workout sets and just do a bunch of sets mm-hmm. like that and i've been doing that for a while now and i feel less sore less fatigue i can do it more often and I just feel like you, you make better progress that way. Yeah. I think there's something to it. I think we have a lot of like meathead ideas in our head of what you're supposed to do as far as working out, as far as you know, going to failure all the time with heavy weights. That's the only way to get strong. I don't necessarily think that's true. No, and but I will say everyone's different. Yeah, because... but here's the thing I, where I should have a caveat. If you're a power lifter, yeah, I should shut the fuck up because if you're if all you're trying to do is like massive, you know, amounts of weight like yeah. a lot of these guys do, well then, you know, they're they're going to push their body quite a bit more than I am. Yeah. I see guys all the time do things that most people would say you should never do. Yeah. And they have a lot of success. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody's going to say you should run a marathon every day. They're going to say that's a good way to get injured and that's too much and your body, you're not, you're not getting the most out of your body. Nobody's like when I lift, I try to do tons of reps, you know, at least 20 reps per set. But you're doing lighter weights. Yeah. You're not trying to go to failure with heavy weights. Try to go to failure with everything. And sometimes if 20 doesn't get it, then I'll do 40. You know, so it's. But you're not trying to go to failure with like 305 for bench. No, 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 no. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. And that's where people get hurt. No, but so it, it. People need to find what works for them, basically. Right. I mean, there's all there's a lot of schools of thought on like, okay, for the average person, do this. Right. And that works for most people. But it's not going to work for David Goggins or for... Right. It depends on your goals and your body and your ability and... and what you're trying to accomplish. And your dedication. And what is the standard routine for someone who's trying to run an ultra marathon? So if you're running a marathon a day, is that is that a normal thing? Like, what are they? What do you guys communicate with each other? Because there's only a fucking handful of you. Yeah, I don't know. I have, do you talk to those people, or are you just doing what you think you should no. do? Yeah, I, I don't, I've never talked to anybody about training. What? No. You don't talk to any of those people. Mm-mm. So you just go out there and do your shit. Yeah. What a freak. No, I, 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 there's guys. <laughs> You know, there's guys that that train. Um, I'm trying to think of oh Jim Walmsey, and he uh, he's a God, amazing. I mean, I have zero ability compared to this guy. I think he's about 26. He lives down in Arizona, and he's been trying to break the uh, Western States 100 ultra marathon record for two years now. Last year, he was on pace to break it. He was like at uh, mile 90, and I don't know. 
20, 40 some minutes ahead of course record pace, took the wrong turn because this is in the mountains. It starts at Squaw Valley and ends in Auburn. Took the wrong trail and went off course and ended up finishing 20th, you know, because he had to backtrack and, and oh, wow. way behind. It's mentally broke him. So he was going to come back this year better than ever in his training. And he'd be like running, you know, 140 mile weeks. So 20 miles a day, uh, 100, probably 150 mile weeks. There's some guys um, that have that do more than that. But anyway, this year he came in and he went again, went ahead, uh, was ahead of course record pace and an ultra marathon term or maybe a running term in general is he blew up at mile 76, I think, and had to drop. So he went too hard. Yep. Wow. So, and he's, he's What's doing the record. Like, what is he trying to break? What's the actual um, record? The record for that is like 14 something, 14 hours. Now, what is the, there's a guy who just broke the ultra marathon record for a flat, like a flat 100, not in the mountains like you do, but a flat one. And he's on an off, like a high fat diet, right? Isn't he on Jamie? Did, we talked about that guy recently. He's on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. And he broke the. He was on a track. It was, yeah. it was a 24 hour record and he yeah. ran a hundred and I can't remember how many how many miles it was. Yeah, but you felt like maybe um, for the mountains, you might want to alter your diet. Like maybe that's not the... For me. Yeah. I mean... Have you ever tried like a, a fat-based diet or a ketogenic diet? I don't know what you call it, but um, my buddies I've, I lived with back home, Nick Hammond and Eric McCormick, they both do bodybuilding competitions. Outlaw strength. But right, exactly. Outlaw strength. I love then, that guy. And, and Good then, dude. And Nick, the trainer dude. Yeah. And so to get lean for those shows, basically you cut the carbs out. Right. And as as many proteins and, and greens as you want, so you can have salad and steak. So I've done that, and I've got down to six percent body fat just to see what it was like, and that's essentially what that is. And do you feel like you perform any differently? On terrible. That? You felt terrible. Terrible. What felt terrible about it? Oh, no strength, no endurance, because no carbs. Hmm. So zero carbs? Like no, no, no. Like just vegetables on, for on, carbs? On a, no. On a low carb day, it'd be fifty to seventy-five grams of carbs. Did you ever get your blood sugar checked to no. see if you're ketogenic? And you no, no, no. I don't do that. <laughs> it's interesting because I feel I feel like this. It's very important to talk about that everybody's body is different. Yeah. You know who's a great uh, proponent of this is Rob Wolf, and one of the really interesting things about Rob Wolf's a scientist and a very very smart guy when it comes to nutrition and health. Writes a lot of books about paleo diets. Mm -hmm. But one of the more interesting things that Rob does is he will eat the same thing as his wife, and they'll both. Um, to test themselves, test their blood, mm. and he'll do it on video. And his wife is consistently more adaptive than he is. Like they're eating the same thing. Mm. Like it should, but but his body, for whatever reason, doesn't perform as well processing carbohydrates as hers does. I see. And she yeah. can stay in a ketogenic uh, state and eat far more carbs than he can. Okay, I'm gonna let you in on a on a little secret. Oh. I don't even know what the hell ketogenic means. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard keto this, ketogenic. I'm like, okay, what, what is it? Okay. In a state of ketosis, your body burns off fat instead of carbohydrates. And you have to have an adaptation period where your body goes from carbohydrates to fats as a fuel source. And your brain 
uses ketones and your body uses ketones for fuel instead of carbohydrates and glucose. Um, Is there an advantage? Yes. And I would suggest that anybody who's interested in this um, go to my podcast with Dom D'Augustino. It was four months ago, maybe. Or Tim Ferriss's podcast with Dom D'Augustino is also an excellent uh, resource. And there's advantages in terms of the uh, your body's ability to fight off disease and mm. cancer. Cognitive imb- ability improves. Hmm. Maybe you'd be smarter, bro. I doubt it. But <laughs> could I bohem better? What's that? 994. So. Not, episode, episode 994 of this podcast. And yeah, you'd boat hunt awesome in it. If, if, well, I just think you need a lot of fat, though. And maybe with your diet, you were not taking in enough fat. Like, you have to have a lot of fat. Like, yeah. animal fat, that's avocados, one, Yeah, that's one thing Nick, oil. Nick told me the other day because I was just like, we lifted, and I'm so weak. Mm-hmm. Weak, because I was running so much, right? And so we did a, we did a, just a few quick calculations. And if you run a marathon a day at my weight, it was, and then just living, because just living, you're going to burn 1,700 calories a day for me. Then plus the 3,300 or something that I'd burn when running a marathon. So it was like 5,000 calories, and I was eating three. So I was 2,000 deficit. Um, That's too much. Yeah, so he said I needed to just ramp up the fats. Mm -hmm. you know. So I started hammering nuts, avocados, things like that. And um, I actually did, I was feeling better. We lifted again and I felt better, so. Yeah, I think that's the big part of the ketogenic diet that people get wrong, is that your ketogenic diet is primarily fats, and then you have an adequate amount of protein dependent upon how much activity you do. Mm-hmm. You obviously do a lot of activity. You would need more um, protein than most, and I think you would also probably need more actual carbohydrates than most. Yeah. And still stay in ketosis. I think if that's probably one of the reasons why you were so tired and you felt weak. But also I think this thing that you're doing, most people are just not going to do. No. They're not going to burn three and eat two. They're just no, not going to no do There's no blueprint. It print for getting ready for a 200 mile race yeah so it's i'm trying to figure it out as i go so you don't talk to this is what freaks me out is you don't talk to other ultra marathon people i hate people <laughs> <laughs> but you like me i do no i like i like i like you like a lot of people man no i like um most uh, people fall short of your expectations. Yeah, I like winners. I like strong people. I like people who don't judge other people. I like well, people. Well, you don't like me then. I judge everybody. No. I judge you. I judge Jamie. No. What fucking shirt he's wearing? <laughs> no. I mean, I just don't like complainers. <laughs> right. And so there's not yeah. a, there's not a lot of people who I'm I don't know. I want to respect people. Well, I think that with the level of output that you're putting out and the amount of focus and dedication to these things, the amount of obsession to like performing at a 200 plus mile race, any whiny bullshit that you hear is just so much more magnified than what I hear. Yeah. You know, like if I hear whiny stuff from my seven-year-old it becomes funny because i start going oh are you gonna be okay are you gonna be okay and she's like stop it daddy i go what are you gonna do you gonna beat me up i go come on punk and then she'll get off the couch and she'll kick me and then we have a little fun and play around together right but she's seven yeah 
If I hear whiny stuff from a grown adult, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. We live in a world where if it's cold out, you press a button and it gets warm. Yeah. And we live in a world where water, the thing that keeps us alive that people struggle to find in most of the free world, comes out of a fucking, you have a lever yeah. in your sink, in every sink, in every bathroom where you right. can just drink fresh water, glug, 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 yeah. glug. It's like, what are you complaining about? What the fuck are you complaining about? You're complaining about because... Joe Rogan can go elk hunting here and you can't. Hashtag bullshit. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's the kind of stuff that... Must be nice. I pretty much don't listen to anybody except people who I know share my mindset about not just on running or whatever, just about on life. Well, that's why I'm just confused as to why you don't have a group of people that you're close to that are also ultra marathon runners that you can compare notes with. There's not a lot of people that do those. I mean, yeah, ultra... My brother does ultras. My brother is a stud. Um... So how odd he he uh, some genetics in that family, huh? Wasn't your dad is a big time athlete, too? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my dad, I have no talent compared to my dad. So my dad was an ultra, just not an ultra marathon, ultra freak. He's just an athletic freak. Um, so but my, my brother, um, he does a lot of miles. We don't really even we just kind of do our own thing. We know what it takes. You had to pound out miles. Your dad was trying to compete in the Olympics, right? No, no, no. He, uh, I think he had Olympic potential. So what happened is uh, he was a high jumper and a long jumper. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I took, my daughter was doing pole vaulting last year. And, uh, and they kind of hurt. My dad was a, a awesome pole vaulter in, uh, at South Eugene High School. He was the first athlete inducted into their uh, Hall of Fame. And uh, they did that right before he died. But, Which Hall of Fame? Uh, in the South Eugene Hall of Fame, that high school there in Eugene. is. Um, anyway, so he, uh, th these coaches at where my daughter was doing pole vaulting, they said, you know, after a few different practices, they had heard about, you know, her and, and, and me and who her grandpa was. And so he's, he comes up and he's like, he goes, was your, uh, was your dad Bob Haynes? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh yeah, he was uh, he was a legend around here because they went to high school together, and now they they've been coaching wherever. And he just you know said that everybody knew Bob Haynes, and he could do things nobody else could do. And what it, his I think where he would have had his success was in high jump, and he could high jump six four. And what he did at that time was called the Western Roll, and so you just kind of roll over the bar. And then he'd competed against Dick Fosbury, and he invented the Fosbury flop. So you'd go with your back to the bar and then kick your legs over. And so they would compete, and my dad got earned a scholarship at, at Oregon for gymnastics and then Oregon State for track when they had track and um, ended up dropping out of both of both schools. And um, they said that he, would, he, could, he could high jump 6'4", doing the Western roll, and they said, well, we're going to teach you the, the Fosbury flop, and we should be able to add 8 to 12 inches onto your jump. So that would put him at 7 feet. And that would have been up there with Dick Fosbury. And, um, and Dick Fo so my dad ended up dropping out of school, or, and whatever happened, and I was born, and then my brother was born. You know how life gets in the way. And then meanwhile, uh, Dick Fosbury went to the Olympics and won the gold medal. So wow. it's just who knows what would have happened, but fact is he was an amazing athlete you know what how if, if you just want to say just in high school that's fine but uh you know he was a d1 athlete in two different 
um, sports. So I didn't, I never had that. I don't have that potential. What I have is just a hard work ethic. And, um, that's what I've translate. So I, without the Olympic or without the athletic talents, maybe that he has, I might have the work work ethic, um, that might match a talent. And that's what I've used to do ultras. Cause basically that's just being tough. I mean, I think, I think it's just grinding and, and put in miles and training and then getting where everybody else wants to quit and pushing through in the races. So you don't like have a few friends. Like I know, what was the woman's name that runs Candace, puts, you, Candace you're, Bird. you're friends with her mm-hmm. and he, and you're friends with your brother, obviously who also yeah. runs ultras. Yeah. Do you have other friends that do this that you like email with or text mm. message? No one. No. <laughs> That's, is that normal? I don't know. I mean, ultra runners in general are, are, uh, fucking weirdos. Weirdos, but um, independent, right? You know, you have to be. You can't rely on anybody. You know, you can't. Who's going to tell me to go run a marathon every day? Right. Everybody's going to say that's too much. You don't need to do that. So it's like, ultra runners are independent. How long have they been doing ultra marathons? Well, the Western States 100 started in 1974. Whoa! And what were the old times? Like, what was, like, a good time back then to do 100? What they started, see, the Western States started as a horse race, and they still do it. It's with called horses? The, yep, the Tevis Cup. And so it's it's the same course with the same goal is cover 100 miles in under 24 hours. So if you do that, you get the buckle, and it says 100 miles one day. Mm. And that's, like, the gold medal for, for an ultra runner. So they have that same thing for horses. And... Um, Gordon Ainsley was, he was in the horse race. His horse came up lame and he said, well, I'm going to finish it on my own on his, on his feet. Jesus. And so he did that. And that's where Western States endurance race or run began. Cause it's like, well, let's just, let's just do this on our feet. What a fucking animal that guy right. was. Yeah. And he still competes in the Western States right now. He's what? old. How he, old is he? But he could, he can't break 20. He, he can't even break 30. So you can get a buckle 100 miles one day if you break 24. If you break 30, you get... A cookie? <laughs> no, you get a buckle just as Western States Endurance Run. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't break 30, you get nothing. Mm. So he's tried for... I think when, when I ran it in 2010, God, what was he? 60-some, probably. He, at the 30-mile cutoff, he was at like the... 90 some mile cutoff. So oh, the 30 hour cutoff. Yeah. And so he was at the, the 90 some mile at 30 hours. So there was, he was done. Right. But anyway, so he tries every year and he gets a long way wow. for being so 70. He's almost 70. I think he's wow. over 70 now. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, so he started that and that was in the seventies. And then nowadays there's more races. Every state, pretty, a lot of states out West have hundred, you know, that's kind of, the ultra scene is in the mountains out here. And does he uh, do the ones in the mountains? Well, that Western States is in the mountains. It is in the mountains. That starts at Squaw Valley. So it's a lot of elevation. There's a lot of that race has 41,000 feet of elevation change. Wow. So you're gaining 18,000 and you're losing 21. Overall, the course goes from Squaw Valley down to Auburn. Mm -hmm. But in the course of that, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And so you're gaining 18 over the course of the hundred miles and losing 21. Wow. Or something like that. It's forty-one thousand difference. And even running down, still 
difficult because you're decelerating. You have to stop your momentum down. So for a 70-plus-year-old oh, guy to do that. That's one thing about it. So you, you start at that race, and they always say once you get into the, the canyon there, um, don't bomb downhill too fast, which is sort of early in the race. It's before mile 50. But if you bomb downhill too fast in the canyons, you'll blow your quads out. You won't be finishing the race. Oh. So you'll pound your quads too much. So you got to – even though you could – Go fast downhill, you got to take it easy because you got to preserve your quads. So your quads are getting used and the decelerating. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, yep, they're getting pounded. So, and and where we are now, and Candace Burt with her, she has, um, I think it's, so she's got Bigfoot, Tahoe, Moab. Yeah, she's got three 200s. So now her thing is two, 200s are the, or wait. 200s are the new 100 or what, whatever. But anyway, it's this, the next level is 200 mile race. Well, yeah, she calls them 200s. I'm like, 238. Yeah, you got to say 238. Why That's she not just, just rounding. I don't know. That's silly rounding. She should call it a 238. The Moab 238 is what it should be called. Jesus, Candace. I know, it's, hey, it's her race. Do you hate numbers? It's her race. There it is. Arctic, what? Antarctic ice marathon? No. Jesus Christ. First of all, it's only 100K. That's Cam like, could do that on his hands. Yeah, 60, 62 miles. Yeah, I know. That'd be fun. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Seems stupid. Yeah. What are, what because you don't see anything but white, at least Moab. You're looking at epic landscape. It's a challenge, though. You know, so it's it's all about the a new challenge. Now, how many people enter into Moab or, or Bigfoot 200? How many people? Um, this year... When I did it last year, there was 74. I think this year there was over 100. And how many people finish? When I did it, 40-some finished. That's Mo pretty impressive. Yeah, most of the people, I mean, if you sign up for 200, it's not like you're doing that on a whim. Right. I mean, you're prepared. But didn't you do 100 mile on a whim recently? Yeah. God, that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. just the idea that you could do a 100 mile race on a whim. It was the most painful pain I've painful pain yeah. is the most painful pain i've ever felt it and was, is that why you started going to a marathon a day afterwards yeah i mean i i just knew that was in uh that was elijah bristow 24 hour run and that was in june and i'm like god i'm, I'm behind on my schedule on my training i gotta just i gotta grind out a big one so i'm like i'm gonna do it so you decided to grind out a big one just to boost your training just to get you over and the beat hump? myself up and so uh why well, how does that benefit you just mentally or does it do it physically as well? Don't ask me questions like that. It probably doesn't. But I mean, what were you thinking <laughs> in the time? Were you thinking like this will like get me over the hump and it'll get so me in shape? Or I were you was, just like, I'm during, just going to do it? Yeah, during that race, I, I was turning into... Remember I said I, I most people are weak pussies? You became a weak pussy? Definitely. <laughs> and so uh, I was in that race and uh, feeling miserable. So I had I was like, well... Okay, maybe I'll quit at 30 miles. 30 miles is still a good run. Right. I hadn't run 30 miles by June, so I'm like, okay, that's. I'm just going to say this is just a training day. Tomorrow I'll go home, rest up, and maybe I'll do another long run, and that'll be good back-to-back. Because -back. that's what you need for those, for those the 200-mile races is most of your running is you, you're beat to shit. So, I mean, you you know, you got to be able to push through. So the back-to-back -back training days are key. So at 30 miles, I was about at six hours and I'm like, God, maybe I feel, I feel awful, but maybe I'll quit at 50. So 
I got to 50 miles and I'm like, God, okay, maybe I'll run 12 hours. So at 12 hours, I was at 61 miles and I, it was at nine at night. The race starts at nine in the morning, nine at night, I was at 61 miles. I'm feeling awful, but I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be such a pussy if I quit. Cause my, not because there's anything wrong with running a 12 hour race and getting 61 miles. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's hard, super hard. But for me, my goal was 24 hours. I signed up for the 24 hour race. So 12 hours isn't 24. So I'm like, well, I got 12 hours to get 39 miles. I just did 61 miles in 12 hours. So I could just milk it out and still get my hundred, which was my goal, 24 hours, hundred miles. So I thought, well, I got, I got 12 hours to get 39 miles. And, uh, it was the worst 12 hours of my life, but, and I barely got it. I mean, it was, so I did 61 and 12 and then it took me, took me 12 to get to 39, but I got a hundred miles done and it was, you know, wasn't trained up, wasn't ready, but, uh, had all these reasons. And I was thinking, I was running, thinking of all these excuses I could say, and I could say <laughs> that I cramped up and, you know, this is a good example of why you shouldn't, what not, you know, push your body past his limit. And I could just be all, get all these kudos for being smart and, and everybody just say, it's okay. You did great. But I would know. I would know that I pushed out. So I kept going. And didn't you run 13 miles the next day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to. So t so my my whole thing wow, was... Look at this. Going 200 mile distance in an ultra marathon may be healthier than stopping at 100. Holy shit. How does that make sense? The, Scroll up. The pacing is different for the people they studied that were going just mm. 100. They were going slower, which led to... Yeah, All, lots of different. Interesting. Hold on, scroll. What I, I wish I could do that. The reason two hundred miles uh, aren't as fatigued as the hundred mile group was due to pacing. The Tour des Giants. How do you say that? G e a n t s. Tour de Giants. Runners averaged three point four miles per hour during the course, while the one hundred mile runners took a faster four point five miles per hour pace. Rich Roll was saying that was that when he runs uh, ultra marathons, like when he was training, that one of the keys was never get his heart rate over one hundred forty beats per minute. Yeah, see, I wish I was smart because <laughs> if I was smart, I wouldn't go out because like when Bigfoot, I'm like I'm going to break the course record. Right. So I was killing it. I was up on. I was ahead by hours. Really? Yeah. Hours. But you fucked up at that one place where you didn't have any water, right? Right. So, died. So, if I could go out and be smart, that's what I'm going to try to do. <laughs> do you think he can win this Moab? I don't know. No, yeah. I doubt it. Come on, pussy. I know. Think no, he can win? <laughs> I doubt. I mean, and it's... Why can't you? Um. Well, there's freaks out there. I, I mean... What, like Cameron Haynes? <laughs> no. I you mean, don't think you're a freak? No. Jesus no, Christ. I don't. I just think uh, I can push. I think I'm good at pain management uh. or ignoring pain. But uh, I had a lot of confidence when I was doing a marathon a day. I was my confidence was I've never been able to do that. I, I mean, I could have done it. I just never did it, you right. know, because I just. Um, but I'm, isn't seasons basically over now for you, except for you're doing a little blacktail hunting in yeah. Oregon? Yeah. So when will you ramp back up to a, a marathon a day? Well, now it's a time of, should I do it or should I just just think my training's in the bank and manage till the race? Because mm. now I could 
hammer too hard and go into the race fatigued. What is the what day is the race? I think it's the 13th of October. So what is that? Four weeks? Three weeks? What's today? Three. Three, three weeks? 22nd. 22nd. So, so th- how will you know what's the right way to do and what's the wrong way to do it? How, I don't know. How would you know? I don't know. Nobody, I wouldn't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> but isn't there ways where people tell whether or not they're overtrained, they monitor well, heart here's rate? What, here's what people say. If you run a marathon, you should not run another one for six months. So should I listen to them? <laughs> so yeah, there's really no, you know, because it's so hard on your body and so on and so forth. So, it, so how do you, like when you built up to a marathon a day, how long did it take you to build up to that after the, the 100 mile race, which was in June? Is that what you said? June. Yeah. So that's not a lot of time. July, August, we're in September. So you're talking like during July and August, you managed to build yourself up to a marathon a day. Yeah. And I did, uh, Under Armour had a marath- an ultra at mount bachelor in july and i didn't like july 20 something so it was about a month after the 24-hour race and i didn't take a day i think i took one day off so i ran every day from the 24-hour trying to beat my body up and then i went into that ultra and i ran that i don't know i didn't got took the wrong course for a couple miles so i didn't I think I got seven. Or I don't know what I got, but anyway, um, that was a hundred. No, that was a fifty k. So that was thirty one miles. And then um, the next day, I I ran the South Sister, which is uh, it was sixteen miles with five thousand feet of gain. So I got really good mountain back to back days there with no break after the twenty four hour, and then went. Then took a little break, I think a day, and then started trying to get really at least a half marathon a day. But then I went on a run, I think of nine days where I did a marathon every day. And so if that time, if you had asked if I had a chance to win Moab, I would have said, yeah, I, cause my confidence was amazing. Uh, cause I've never been able to do that. And maybe I'm, I'm not being realistic about it because there could be, you know, Jim Walmsley show up who, who knows what he could run it in. And, uh, and so maybe it's not realistic, but but at that time I had confidence. Now after not running that much and being gone hunting, I don't know. So when will you decide? Like when, or when will you decide? Like how are you going to train? Like will you you going to start running tomorrow when you get back yeah, home? I'll do a marathon tomorrow. And then once you do a marathon tomorrow, I'll see how I feel. But and then my the body feels day. awesome right now. Yeah, Amazing. you're all rested up. Oh God, I feel I feel as good as I felt in a long time right now. Well, that was the idea, though, right? That yeah. you were going to train super hard, beat yourself up, and then take a few weeks off for hunting, and then you mm-hmm. would recover and, and recuperate. Yep. Looked good on paper. Yeah, well, so maybe, right when you, uh, <laughs> maybe when you run that marathon tomorrow, you're going to feel like a fucking animal, and even better than before. Maybe, Plus, I, maybe I won't. invigorated. Well, come on. What's with the negative self-doubt talk? No, it's, I'm not, it's not it's just how it is sometimes. Do you think there's any advantage to your diet? That, that you eat all this wild game. I mean, yeah. there's got to be like some sort of nutritional advantage. I, I don't have to advantage. back it up with anything, do I? I can just no, say, yeah. No, you don't have to say science. But, <laughs> but, I, but I think it's it's obvious. Like, I was cutting up uh, some meat, and my wife was looking at it. She goes, it almost looks like organ meat. Yeah, because it's, it's so rich. I mean, it's dark. Yeah. It's dark and rich. Um, it's like if... Uh, if you're not used to eating that type of meat, 
it can affect your stomach because yeah. it's it's so it's rich protein. Yeah, and so it's definitely um, more. I don't want. Potent? It's more nutrient dense. Yeah, I want to say potent almost yeah. than right than like a steak you'd buy at a store. Right. Mike Dolce always likes to use that word nutrient dense. I love it. Sounds oh, good. Okay. Sounds super smart. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the protein per ounce, like they do, uh, there's a chart, Jamie. Yeah. That they do. Um, they compare beef, chicken, uh, salmon, and elk and moose, and it's off the charts. It's like double. So you could get the same amount of protein that you get in a 16-ounce steak, I think, in like an 8-ounce piece of elk. So you need less, and it's more potent, and it just it just looks different. You know, I've, I've shown it to friends that have never eaten elk before, and they're like, Jesus. Yeah. Because it's just red. Yeah. It's just, just dense. Yeah. You know, you're eating a super athlete. You know, yeah, that's what it's like. No, yeah. I, and that's what I feel like. I feel like when I'm eating, you know, those elk are amazing animals, powerful, strong, endurance. Um, you know, everything I, I would like to be as far as of taking on anything that happens. And, uh, you know, when you eat that, how, how could you not have confidence or, yeah. or feel better? But I just think it's the best food for you. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel fucking fantastic. I feel better now at 50 than I've ever felt, like, probably in my life. Right. Like, I feel better at 50 than I did at 40. Really? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Huh. It's Just a from... lot of, A lot of it is eating really healthy, you running. know, really running, managing my um, my sleep. That's a big one. Mm. That's one that you don't do very good. Mm. You don't really get a lot of sleep, dude. I don't have... It's that stupid job. <laughs> God, I'm when supposed gonna... to be at work right now. It's, when are you going to quit is that it, thing? It's Friday, but right? But you make more money outside your stupid job than you do on your stupid job. Listen, I need to manage you. <laughs> yeah. You need to listen to me. Yeah. Every I, time we talk about this. I know. We do. We talk about <laughs> it a lot. Well, you're the opposite uh, of me in that regard. Yeah. Because uh, I'm like Captain Cut Ties and burn the bridge and fucking throw kerosene on the house, light it on fire, and drive away. Woo! Yeah. And you're not. I know. You're I the just, opposite. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, and part of it is... Um, I've never, like I said, I've never felt special. So I, I always feel like I should appreciate having a good job and uh, I'm loyal to to where I work. And so I feel like all this opportunity and these things that I do and being on you know, your show and all that could go away tomorrow. And then I'd, if I quit the job, I'd be like, oh my God, I knew it. I'm a freaking loser and I quit it. The best job I've ever had in my entire life. That's an interesting way of looking at it, but yeah. it's, um part of your strength is the fact that you can endure right and yeah. so i think you're enduring this job <laughs> yeah maybe i like being miserable yeah but i'm not because I, I like the people i work yeah. with. yeah I, I know I do. you do yeah. but you would like it more if you didn't have to be there yeah i would like just to check in with them every once in a while hey how's everybody <laughs> yeah how's how's that place where i used to work for my whole life <clears throat> yeah but, uh yeah i mean so I, I i miss i miss the people when i'm not there um, I miss problem solving and, and, uh, helping people, um, you know, achieve goals. So I, I like being there for that. I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been trying to figure out what, what a solution is, but you know, maybe we could talk to, uh, Hoyt about this or some, you know, some company about this, maybe an Under Armour, but the idea of putting together like almost like camps where people could learn archery 
and maybe you could give seminars. Guys like Dudley can show some archery techniques. Mm -hmm. Guys like Remy Warren can talk about things and putting together these almost like introductory camps. Yeah, because a lot of people, people don't know where to start. They don't know where to start. I didn't yeah. know where to start. Yeah. If it wasn't for Steve Ranella, I would have never got started in hunting. If yeah. it wasn't for you, I would have never got started bow hunting. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes you need someone. Yeah. And there's not a lot of resources out there, but there's a lot of people that are listening. And there's a lot of people that they're hearing all this, and they're like, yeah. wow, this sounds crazy. Like, I want to get involved in this. Yeah. And again, a lot of what we're talking about, like I was talking about Brian Barney's podcast, like he's hunting public land, over-the-counter tags in Montana. You could go get them. They don't cost that much. You go, you pay your license fee, you buy a tag, yeah. and you can go out into the wilderness. You just need a tent and a backpack and a bow and arrow and some guts. And just go out there and you could you could handle it. There's a, there's, there's a lot of opportunity like that. And this country is amazing for that. It's one of the few countries in the world where we have literally millions of acres of public yeah. land that are all yours and mine. I mean, I was wearing that backcountry hunters and anglers t-shirt yesterday that says public land owner. Yeah. We're all public land owners and it's it's yeah. it's a very very important thing to support and it is it's a, an amazing resource so yeah like where we're at in utah is super rare and not a lot of people get to go there but guess what you could go to idaho you can go into the the back country in idaho and get amazing public land hunting yeah. if you're willing to hike in and go deep and you go to Google Earth, and you could go and, and look at all these basins and mountains, and you could go online and ask people. And yeah. there's ways to move around. There's ways yeah. to do this. But getting started is insanely difficult. And I've been thinking about this, that maybe we could do something. Like, you know how they have that total archery challenge that they did in Utah yeah. while we were there? I was there. It was awesome. Amazing, right? So maybe there's, like, a gathering that we could put together. Like maybe once a year, maybe during the off season, mm -hmm. just once a year where people can get maybe fitted for a bow, you, you sign up for this in advance, and maybe it's a couple day thing, like maybe yeah. one or two days where you, you go through an introductory course of, of archery, understanding it, and then maybe someone can talk about shot placement, and maybe someone else, like someone who does a lot of soul hunting, like Remy or maybe even Adam, can talk about like woodsmanship and things that you can learn and here's some books you could read like your book backcountry yeah. uh what was your backcountry bow, bow, bow hunting yeah. and that's still in print right you can still yeah. buy that is it on amazon no it's on cameronhaines.com oh powerful shout out to cameronhaines.com but to have those kind of things like like set out like yeah. hey this is something you can do this is something you could read this is something you can listen it'd to it'd be awesome i mean we we've done gatherings you know we Wayne at the bow rack, we used to do this bow hunters, I can't remember what we used to call it, but six or 700 people would show up at the bow rack in the parking lot, big tent, and we'd do things. We could do it out where I practice out at his property, you know, um, and get together and have people in, and it would just be, it would be amazing. Why don't we do that? The reason I know that there's so much interest in Pat, my book, Backcountry Bow Hunting, I wrote in 2006. Cases of that go out every day. I mean, before I left on this hunt, I sat at my kitchen table and signed books for uh, cases of books because those are all going to be gone when I get home. Do you have a time machine? A time machine? Why? Where do you get the time? <laughs> I don't understand how the fuck you have time to run a marathon and then sign books and then practice bow hunting yeah. and then do a hundred reps of fucking yeah. this and I then hang out with your family and yeah. then eat dinner and go to sleep and then work a full-time job and then... 
It's tough, but uh, but that's how I know that um, there's so much interest in that. Is that book is you know, I think sold almost forty thousand of them, and people have that dream. I have just, two. Just you I have, have two? two copies. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just th- um, a good example of people living that dream. This guy at work, two guys at my work, they wanted to do the backcountry thing, so. We got maps in Wyoming. I said, here's, because Roy went there one time. I've killed a couple bulls in the backcountry there, public land. It's a pretty easy tag to draw. You can get, uh, you put in for the for the premium tag. It costs a little more to put in, but the odds of getting it are, you can get it, I, I got it almost every year a couple times, and then, or a year in between. And so they put in for the tag. They got the tag. I sat down with them, said, showed them the drainages, showed them I'd hunt here, I'd camp here, I'd do this. And they went in there, killed a bull. I mean, public land, never been there before, um, had a dream of doing it, made it happen. So it's it happens. Guys do it every year. It can be done. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You can go from the beginning, from no knowledge of archery, to eventually doing it. Yeah, Andy can. Stump's done it. I know, I know. He texted me today. Andy's a fucking animal. Yeah, I love it. Andy's awesome. And he, he got obsessed with bow hunting from listening to us talk about it, from listening yep. to us talk about archery. Yeah. He got a Hoyt. He got set up. Dudley gave him some coaching. I know you hang, you hung out with him. Yeah. And he went hunting with Dudley, and he got a, a giant fucking black bear, two he, of them. He got, a, he got a bear. He killed, I think, two a couple deer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excuse me. And then he, he uh, went on... A bad run. He had a frustrating elk hunt. Something like yeah. five shots, or but he did a podcast, I guess, about it today. He he told me that today's podcast, I think, is about failure oh. and about bow hunting and about failure. And uh, cleared hot. This is the name of his podcast. Yeah, cleared hot. But um, man, I love that guy. I told him on the way home I was going to listen to his podcast today. He said he he talked about. He mentions me or something like that. But so. Andy, for people who don't know, he's been on the podcast before, and he is um, he's a retired Navy SEAL who has the world record in the distance of one of those fucking crazy wing, wing flying suit. squirrel suits. Wing suit, yeah. He's a maniac. Yeah. He's a real maniac. And he's become completely obsessed with bow hunting. In fact, moved to Montana. Yeah. That's how savage that guy is. He's like, fuck this. I'm out of California. Moves his family from San Diego to Montana. And he's doing, you know, over-the-counter. Montana is one of the best places in the world where you can get over-the-counter tags for elk hunting. Yeah. And just the wilderness there. Like, I told you, when I went there last summer with my family, we had to stop the car, and I, I brought binos, and uh, I, I was giving them to my kids. I'm like, look, 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 look. There's a yeah. hundred elk out here in this field. And we were just sitting there staring for, like, shit. We pulled over for, like, a half an hour. Yeah. Just looking out the window at a hundred elk just hanging out on this field. It was amazing. I, yeah. Uh, Montana's and, awesome. No, no. And Andy, he was, wasn't he a SEAL for 17 years? Yeah. I mean, so just. Savage. Stud. Just uh, a great guy, too. You yeah. know, and, and just got a, a great mind for success. And this is why he became obsessed with bow hunting as well. It's like he, he recognized the things that we were talking about, and he decided to start it, to start the process and see what it was like, and then immediately became obsessed. Yeah. And then. As we talked about also, hit. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, he had a hard time. Yeah, so, I mean, he had some good success when Dudley was coaching him. Is that his place there? Look at that. Many people yeah. have asked 
why we moved to Montana. Any other questions? The only regret is not making the move sooner. Yeah. God, look at that view. I know. That's insane. That looks, He's got his truck parked there. And that just looks this awesome. amazing, amazing view. He said something. I think I saw God, a comment. Is that a lake? God, yeah, it looks like it. Is that his yard? I don't know. Fucking A, man. Yeah. That's amazing. I think he said something about, um, maybe it was on that cleared hot, that other post there, the second post. Yeah, about that maybe on his last shot he would have been better off throwing his bow. <laughs> one week, uh, two, two in one week, control yourself. After taking, talking about failure in episode 13, I had one of the best weeks I've ever had. I have in a long time. My mind kept drifting back to motivation and purpose, which in my opinion is the opposite side of the coin that failure sits on. Hopefully something in it clicks for you. So this is, um, he's talking about his episode of uh, Cleared Hottest Podcast, which is an excellent podcast. You should go and yeah. check that shit out. He's just good at, at verbalizing. And, yeah. And I, I mean, it's just so easy to listen to. He's a very smart dude. So that's him out there with his bow. Yeah. Just uh, And he says he's, what did he say about humble pie? That's, yeah. That's bow hunting right there. Well, it's fucking hard, man. Any, anytime you think you're good. Yeah. So, I mean, something happens and you just feel like. I don't know. Well, you know, Dudley's talked about that. Like okay. Dudley, who is a guy who literally gets flown out to Europe to coach international teams. He's coached Olympic teams. Yeah. He was talking about like one time he went with an outfitter and he just hadn't been practicing enough. He felt like he was fine and he's just fucking missing. Yeah. And he's like, what is wrong? And he's like, he took a whole day. And he goes, look, tomorrow we're not going out. And he goes, mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to put up a fucking block target, and I'm going to practice. I'm going to get my mind right. Get back on in, And he in got back on track, and then the next day he killed. Really? Yeah, next day he was yeah. shooting perfect. But it's like he needed to have that wake-up call that even though he's John fucking Dudley, world-class yeah. professional archer, if you don't practice, yeah. it doesn't matter. The, 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 the arrow doesn't care. Yeah. The animals don't care if you think you're a bad motherfucker. It doesn't right. care. You have to have 100% dedication, 100% focus yeah. all the time. And that was one thing that I really loved about this week is that even though like there was times that it was kind of it was exhausting for sure and there was times it can be kind of frustrating when you're on an animal like I didn't feel frustrated like I wanted to quit. Right. I felt frustrated like I wanted to press on and I wanted Overcome. to get successful. Overcome. And being friends with guys like you, guys like Remy, Adam Greentree, this, knowing these people that have done all this and gone through all this already, it's just a, and and also for people that are listening, having podcasts where people like you or like uh, Remy or, or or Steve Ranella can talk about mm -hmm. the struggle. Yeah, it's, it's so important, right? Because what what gets attention is a su success. Yeah, like when you watch a TV show, what do you see? Guys shooting animals. Seems yeah. so easy. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because you get you get a TV show's 21 minutes, you got some sponsors you got to mention, you get a few minutes of hunting, and oh, here they killed something. That's one of the things that I'm worried about with these films, because these films are brilliant. Like your film, that time film that Under Armour made, they're brilliant, but... Man, it just seems like everything just kind of happened in that. Yeah. Like all of a sudden there's the elk, you passed up, you're at full drop, nah, not that one, too young. And then there's a perfect one, boom, perfect shot, he's down in seconds, everybody's happy. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the thing. The thing is the hours and hours and hours of hiking yeah. and, and the disappointment, the fucking wind got us. God yeah. damn it. Like yeah. we were in on this bowl and the wind shifted and the cows go, Burp! 
The cows bark. Bark. For people who don't know, uh, cow elk, when they hear things or smell things or see things and they know something's wrong, they go, Burp! and And it Burp! reverberates through the woods and everybody knows what that sound is. It sucks a fat dick. Everybody, when, when a cow, when just one cow sees something or smells something, barks, everybody's like, uh-oh. I mean, that was it. Yeah. It's over. There was a time where Jameson and Colton and I, before I killed that bull, we were standing there dead still for five minutes while yeah. cows were just staring at us. Yeah. Just staring. And you're not moving. Like, your feet are going numb. Your knee hurts because you're kind of like leaning on the side of a hill. Yeah. And you can't move. You just got to stay. And they're just looking right at you. Because yeah. for them... Look, for me, it's a pursuit. It's a discipline. It's, 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 I don't want to say fun. It's exhilarating and intense. It's amazing. It's, it's a, I'm attracted to it. For them, it's life yeah. and death. Yeah. And they don't have a language. They don't have a, bra a brain that processes all these variables. They just know that's fucking danger. Yeah. There might be danger. Is that, is that something that looks to eat me? Yeah. They know they're delicious. Yeah. There's something. <laughs> they must. Yeah. They must. Yeah. Um, one, one thing... You know, on that hunt, we had basically a lifetime worth of experience for a lot of guys yeah. in a week, you know, up there. And um, because the bull, the timing was perfect, it, there's a few reasons why it was a perfect storm up there. It was, it was, the weather was a storm, obviously. but Got a lot of snow. It was awesome. Yeah, one day we got hammered with snow. But the moon phase, um, the moon was basically non-existent the last few days and that's a big thing when the moon's full animals are out at night feeding most of their feeding is done at night and a little bit during the day to um on this week there the moon phase was down so they were feeding mostly out during the day so that was big the weather was good and then the time of year so the the bulls were running but uh i just remember one specific and i can't wait to show this on the film but we were there's a bull bugling. We heard it up there in the in the Quakies, and he was going crazy. We wanted to try to get a, a good look at him, so we're standing there. And Mark Womack, um, who sub sevens his company, he was filming me, and he looks over and he says, he says, Cam, there's a bull bedded right there, and it was about I don't know a little over 100 yards away. There was a six by six bedded, and uh, with the wind the way it was, I'm like, well, I'm gonna go see how close I can get to him. So. I snuck up there and got within 10 feet of this six by six bull. And I got so close. There was a, there was a tree blocking his, his eye where normally he'd be able to see me, but he, where he bedded, the tree was blocking that. So I used that tree and use the, the cover of the wind to get in close. And that's on, like you said, a wild animal that only cares about staying alive essentially. And for the bull bre uh, breeding, but, that is uh that was an experience i got so close that i was like okay if he he's gonna know i'm here eventually what am i gonna, how close am i gonna get what's he gonna do because they're they're aggressive this time of year testosterone is skyrocketing because they're breeding they're fighting they're doing all this thing what's he gonna do when he sees me this close so i didn't really know for sure but i felt that wind shift a little bit at and i felt it on the back of my neck so i came to full draw he's 10 feet away and he stands up and he's just like he knew, right then I'm standing plain as day once he stood up and we got an image I'll post up here in a second of uh, me at full draw at 10 feet on this big bull elk. It's incredible. But the footage is amazing. That's going to be cool to show. No, the footage is going to be amazing. And we also got footage 
<clears throat> of a bull that um, we couldn't shoot because even though he was a huge bull, he was a younger bull. He was probably five or six years old, and it was in the snow, and it was 40 yards away, broadside, screaming his lungs out. And we're just yeah. standing there going, wow, yeah. this is crazy. He's just yeah. standing there on top of the mountain going, where's my bitches? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, to, and to most people, like when you're on public land, like when I used to hunt, you know, the Eagle Cap Wilderness, that bull's dead. Oh, but, yeah, for but sure. That's, I, or I'm going to try to kill that bull. Yeah. Got, there's all sorts of things that can happen, you know, when you're shooting an arrow. But uh, the reason why where we're hunting is so good is because it's so well managed. Because, because normally, so it's five or six years old, that's a hell of a trophy for anybody on public land. But when everybody could come together and say, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're only going to kill the eight to ten-year-old bulls. You let those bulls grow, and then you get an amazing. That's that's one reason why Arizona's so good. Um, they they do they manage it for trophy animals, and uh, some places in New Mexico. New Mexico is good. Um, there's a place in Oregon. It's the Winnaha. It's where I put in for, and it's public land, but it's a really hard tag to draw. I've been putting in for it for 17 years now, but they only give they they were giving 10. I think now they give 20 tags a year. And there's big bulls there. And it's just because it's managed. So there's a few different places that are managed for older animals. But if you're just going straight up public land, it's really hard to pass up a five or six-year-old bull. Now, how do they make that decision to only give 20 tags? Because it's probably, I would imagine, thousands of people that are trying to draw yeah. these tags. And only 20 people get an opportunity. Yeah. How, how do they make that distinction just by the biologist pick the number of animals? Yep. They yep. just do some sort of a survey, find out how many of their animals there are. And also, some places manage for better genetics and higher potential of what they would call... I don't, there's a real problem with that word trophy, because people think, oh, you just want to decorate your wall with an animal's body. No, well, that's like, not what it you, means. Now, are you a trophy hunter, or do you eat the meat? I'm like, both. Yeah, well, the you trophy is a, an intense experience with a mature animal that has a lot of, ex, a lot of lifetime of surviving yeah you know, like it's a way different animal like if when you're around a young bull they don't know anything they're like babies well they know like a spike they barely know what's going on like who are you a spike's been alive for a year and a half right so that's where the herd protects them elk are herd animals they look out for each other so when you have an eight to ten year old bull that has a protection of the herd but also has has been around for eight to ten hunting seasons that's a smart animal. He's seen some shit. He's seen some stuff. And it's a smart animal. So um, there's a guy in camp also that has hunted the San Carlos um, Indian Reservation. And he talked about this big bull there that knew he was being hunted, circled around them, came in from the backside of the hunters to look at him. Wow. Because he was that, that bull had been around and knew what was going on so much. And so... They were able to track him and see what he did, and he went around behind the hunters. And so these animals, imagine. I mean, this is where they live every day yeah. for 8 to 10 years. You, you see some stuff. You learn where humans as hunters like to go. And like, also, we are probably a minor threat in comparison to the mountain lions. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about how many cats are on this ranch. Right, there's, there's lions, but... They know humans are danger. Sure. I mean, they know that. And then, yeah. like I said, they know. So so there's certain places where 
hunters, regardless of who's there, go to glass, go to call, and those elk know that, okay, I see something there. That's where I've seen a human, whatever they think a human is before. I'm not going there. Right. You know, so it's, um, once you get an age on an animal, it gets tough. It gets tough to, to get them killed. And I would imagine the mountain lion population as high as it is, like they have to be on point 24-7 with something that's faster than them. Mm-hmm. Kill, kills them with its teeth. Yeah. Something that can leap up and literally grab a hold of its neck. Remember we were talking to Johnny in Colorado, and he was telling us about the footprints that he found? They found a yeah. bunch of cat footprints, and then they found a bunch of elk footprints. Yeah. And then they only found the elk footprints. And yeah. then a couple hundred yards later, yeah. they found a dead bull with a giant mountain lion clinging to its neck. Uh-huh. Like... That's so, that's a hard life when a fucking hundred and fifty pound cat can yeah. bring down a thousand pound bull. Yeah. So the so the lion was on the bull's back. So yeah. so that's why it's it's uh it's um prints were gone in the snow because he was up on the bull trying to get it killed. The bull was taken off for a couple hundred yards. Finally, the, the new cat clamped down on probably its windpipe, got it killed. And that's happening outside of season that's not that's honey that's yeah, happening every day every day that's not every day that's not hunting season that's that's just real life out there and so, bears yeah um yeah so it's but we kind of you you started to talk about the trophy hunting aspect yeah. and what people you know when they have that that trophy hunting moniker that is has negative connotation and that's what we talked about this a little bit last night on the way back from the airport um, the grizzly hunting in British Columbia, you know, yeah. that they're stopping that in November. There'll be no more grizzly hunting. They were killing 250 bears a year out of 15,000. So they're basically just managing the population. You know, you have to take a certain amount of animals out given the habitat and the carrying capacity of the land. Especially predators because they don't have predators. Right, right. Because what else is going to kill a grizzly? Right. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, and so, some people say, well, they, you know, they'll, their numbers will drop down on their own. If, they're, if they eat all the deer and all the moose, you're right. Their numbers will drop down, but it will take decades. Yeah. And if you're and in that time, you're going to destroy two different things, right? You're going to destroy the ungulates. They're going to get devastated. Yeah. And you're going to also destroy the economy that comes with hunting. Mm-hmm. Like the, the economy that comes with hunting those ungulates because they're going to get devastated by the overwhelming population of grizzly bears and the economy that comes with hunting the grizzly bears. Right. Which in managing them, what they're going to have to probably do is what they've done with mountain lions in California. What people don't know because mountain lion hunting is outlawed in California. So what they do is they hire hunters to kill mountain lions and they've killed... I believe they killed almost 100 last year. I think it was like 97. Most of them, they find pets in their Mm -hmm. body. They find like their primary food source, more than 50% is dogs. Right. And they're just killing people's dogs. So the lions are still getting killed. Yeah, but they're just just not hunters doing it. It's government basically shoot. uh, They can run dogs with them. They can do all sorts of things to get them killed. But it's a government paying somebody to do it as opposed to hunters paying for the opportunity to do it to kill the same amount. So instead of money going to the state, the state's paying money. And it's a lot of money, especially when you're talking about something like grizzly bears. Well, a grizzly bear, what they're saying up there, and I, I you know, did some research on it just because I want to know how this works, because why it got, why it's being stopped is just public outcry. And the new government in British Columbia has said, um, in this day and age, you know, the public just can't stomach grizzly bears trophy hunting 
So the public, what the hell does the public know? The public doesn't even, they're not even out there. Well, they, they, they have a misconception and their, their idea is all based on them being in these cities and the major population center of British Columbia is Vancouver, right? Yeah. It's a big urban Bunch environment. Liber liberal, That's yeah. Probably a lot of different people there, Cameron. You don't have to be generalizing the fine They'd people probably, of Vancouver. If they could have voted for Obama, they would have. <laughs> so these <laughs> people that live in Vancouver, they comp comprise the majority of the people that are voting in British Columbia. And yeah. So they voted out the grizzly bear hunting. But these people like that well, I know, like my friend Mike Hawkridge, who lives in BC, yeah. Mike's had a lot of experience with grizzly bears and wolves. Wolves up there are so plentiful, they don't have a bag limit on them. You can shoot as many wolves as you want. They yeah. encourage you to shoot wolves. There's even a bounty in some places on wolves. Well, and do you know, so, so I think this was a little different up there with the bears. I don't think they voted it out per se. I think the new government came in, they took a poll and said, who you know supports grizzly hunting and whatever. 71 or 74% said they were opposed. So the new government just said, okay, we're gonna make the decision to stop it. Well, they didn't stop it. This is what they did. You can hunt the grizzlies for meat, but you can't keep the rug or the skull. Or the skull. The hide or the skull. So which we people consider trophies. Right. But what the problem with that is, that is also a resource. You're you're eliminating a resource. If you shoot a bear and you eat the bear, why wouldn't you keep the rug? Like have a bear rug in your house to commemorate that experience. Yeah. And also it's you know, people have bear skinned rugs. It's it's always been I have about fifty of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's something that people you know, like if you're eating the animal, that is also a part of the animal. Why would you be compelled to throw that away? Yeah. That seems incredibly wasteful. No, it's disrespectful. Right. It's also disrespectful to just shoot an animal just for its skin. If you're a type of person who wants to shoot an elephant and just take the tusks and let the meat rot. A lot of people think that's disrespectful. That's where trophy hunting gets its bad moniker. Yeah. So what they've done is the opposite of what makes sense. You've re you've removed part of the value of that animal, mm -hmm. and you've also removed most of the economy of people hunting that animal. So most people are not going to hunt them. What they said was, so they were killing 250 a year, and they could get um, like out of country or or whoever whatever hunters to pay 25,000 to hunt those bear so it's 25,000 times 250 it's like I don't a know. lot i don't know it's we're like both stupid over a thousand dollars means you're both stupid <laughs> but anyway so that money just like the it's lion, millions of dollars just like the lion hunting oh god i should be able to figure that out i don't what want is to. it jamie a hundred how many tags they give no 250 two, 250 250 times twenty five thousand. what is that Smart people I'm gonna already say, figured it out. I'm going to... Can't take a guess. I don't know. Five, <laughs> 50 million. You'd have to have a pen and paper. Say 50 million. 6 million, 250 whatever oh, dollars. Oh, I was wrong. So think of that. <laughs> now think that's the money that's gone. That money is now no longer going into the economy. Now they're going to have what they call problem bears. Now, problem bears are bears that attack people, which is very frequent. Yeah. Bears that attack animals, livestock, bears that encroach upon people's established uh, residences and communities and start eating garbage cans and killing pets and things along those lines. Then they have to hire people to go out and kill these bears. And that's going to cost thousands of dollars a day. Yeah. You're going to have to pay for equipment, 
dogs. They usually have to track them with dogs. And, and these dogs have to be trained. You have to get specialists who know what yeah. they're doing. There has to be more than one because they need backup because you're dealing know. with a thousand-pound animal. I don't know if you want dogs on a grizzly. I think that's how they find them. I don't know. I think that's black bear. No, one of the guys that was on um, uh, Grizzly, uh, the Gritty Bowman podcast was talking really? about it. Yeah. Dogs with the grizzly? Yeah, that they use dogs Seems to find like those them. dogs wouldn't last long. Well, I don't think they engage the grizzly. Okay. I think they find them, you know, and bark yeah. at them and, and, and bay them up. Yeah. And then, you know, they, they locate them. And yeah. then that's when the hunter comes in. Okay. But huh. that's another thing that, you know, people don't like that idea of using dogs to hunt animals. But that's one of the more effective ways to find these animals. It's one of the best ways they use in a lot of states to find mountain lions. Yeah. And people that's, think it's fucked it's, up and cruel. It's the only effective way to hunt mountain lions, to be to be honest. I mean, you can gamble. You might see one, have a tag. I mean, I buy a tag in Oregon every year. I've seen about, I think I've seen three mountain lions in 30 years. I have a tag. I mean, I've had a shot one time, didn't get it killed. But... If you have dogs, then you can say, okay, we have, we have 10,000 mountain lions. Um, we need to take out, you know, 500 a year. So like a lot of states have once, cause once you kill a lion, then you have to go to game and fish and get it checked in. Um, they do measurements to do all this, all these different things. And so once 500 lions have come in, the season stops. Right. So they have, uh, a mortality threshold. Like yeah. They have to they, they reach. Have to, they, once they reach that limit, they said, well, we have 10,000. We need to kill 500 a year. So once we kill 500, the season's over. And for people, why would you want to kill the mountain lion? I don't understand. Well, first of all, you you, you got to control, again, the population of predators because nothing else does. And two, you can eat mountain lions, and they're apparently delicious. Yeah. Have yeah. you had it? No, I never have. No. I know people that have. Ranella yeah. says it's absolutely delicious. He shot a mountain lion last year for the first time. He's had it before, but he's never had it his own. And yeah. he said it was sensational. Oh, I definitely eat it. I want. I'd like to hunt lion. I never have before. And you know, using the dogs, the dogs are a tool. They're a tool, like a bow, like a rifle. It's just those dogs have been trained so well, and love what they do. The owners love the dogs. And that's just, I mean, there's, I don't know, it's such a special bond between them. And then just being part of that is an, just a, another amazing hunting experience. It's just a different tool to use. Yeah, well, I think people think of dogs as being only pets, and that's what they should be used as, and dogs yeah. shouldn't work. But, you know, that is, and I understand that because I have pets, and yeah. you know, I wouldn't want Marshall to go out and get, attack you know marshall would shit his pants if he even saw a bear but it's there's different kinds of dogs that were bred for very specific purposes that's what those dogs want to do they do it, well, that's it, one of the things that aaron schneider talked about in the podcast where he was standing uh in the wrong place when they opened up the pen to let the grizzly dogs out oh and the dog just leaped and slammed him in the chest and it just about really? knocked him unconscious yeah which, which podcast was this it's one of the gritty bowman podcasts oh, okay. one of the more recent ones let me see if i could pull out the number huh. because i was listening to it recently oh gritty bowman is a, a very good podcast mm -hmm. uh by these guys that are brian, friends of ours brian call and aaron snyder and um the number uh episode 281 no, 282 and um and there was another one in there but 282 is the 
I think the big one. It's about predator management with uh, Bart, Bart Lancaster, and that's the one where they really talked about. They talked about guys who live there in British Columbia who are talking about how you know when he's not home and he has to go somewhere, he has to leave his dog with his wife. If his wife goes riding a horse, he has to bring do- the, the wife has to bring dogs with her because there's so many fucking grizzly bears out yeah. there. They have to have something that's going to protect him, warn yeah. him. And the, these these dogs are not just pets. They're also a first line of defense mm. to let them know that there's danger in the area, let them know that bears are near, and also keep the bears away because the bears hear dogs. They don't want to fuck around. No. Do- and the dogs, they start barking. That means people are going to know. That means out come the guns. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, good but deterrent for sure. People in Vancouver, they don't understand this. They're not there. They're just sitting there eating tofu and, you know, and, and, and talking about spirituality and, you know, and then they, they pass these bans, and they upset the entire balance of nature. They upset the economy, the economy of hunting, of conservation. All these things get get all lopsided, and it's. I understand where they're coming from. I understand the sentiment, but it's a lot of it is entirely based on the images that people have seen in movies, in Disney films, and the anthropomorphization of these animals, where you attach human characteristics to these ultra predators, these enormous mm-hmm. monsters of nature, which are amazing. We don't, like I can speak for myself, but I know I'm speaking for you too. We don't want bears to not be there. We don't no. want wolves to not be there. No. They're amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they exist. They're fucking awesome. Yeah, me too. I mean, to be outside, I've never heard a wolf howl. Well, I did once, I did it with Hawkridge in BC, but they were like way in the distance. Yeah. I heard wolves howl. But to see them and, and be there when it's happening, and I've, I saw a grizzly bear once in in uh, Alberta, and just to look at it, it's like mm. holy shit! Yeah. You see those things? It's amazing. I yep. mean, it's it's magical, but it, that doesn't mean that they don't need to be managed. Yeah, you know, but that's, and that's a weird word, right? That's and that's what people say is like, well, why are we interfe- interfering? Why can't they? They would figure it out themselves. They have forever. And what people don't or, or fail to realize, I guess, is no man's always been involved. Yeah, we've always hunted. Yeah. We've, you know, we've been involved in how many animals there are. Sometimes we've been involved natively, like when we almost wiped out the elk or the right. buffalo. But lately, we've been involved positively and we manage them. And this is the other thing they talked about on the Gritty Bowman podcast, where they really emphasized the difference between a biologist who's not in the field and these, these all these different people, whether it's the... Uh, uh, the the hunters themselves or whether it's the guides or whether it's the people that are outfitters that are there 24 7 365 they can give you more data they understand the real numbers it's very difficult when you're dealing with especially something like british columbia intensely wooded area yeah to get a real number, number yeah i mean there's no mat there's no like you can't just Pull up the social security numbers of the bears and no. find out how many of them are still alive. And you can't you can't fly over and get a count like they do a lot of animals, right? Like caribou or something. Well, caribou and even elk where they winter. So elk, you know, once once winter hits, they get pushed down to where they can get feed in the winter. That's where they get the 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 counts, right. you know. So that's where they can get a pretty good number or idea of how many elk are in that area. Bear don't do. You're never you're never going to fly over. There's no wintering grounds for bear. Well, that's another important thing that Adam found out when Adam Greentree was on this crazy walkabout that he was doing for the mm-hmm. last month. 
He found mountain grizzlies. What he believes, and he says, and I know that he's a very smart guy, he's been around a lot of animals, he believes there's 100% mountain grizzlies in Colorado. That's what he said, yeah. He took pictures of them, and he even put up uh, photos. They're really hard to see pictures. Yeah. Way off in the distance. But he even put a photo up of, you know, uh, online. He did online searches for Mm -hmm. that mountain range in Colorado, and they said that it's like people who see Bigfoot. They say they see grizzlies, but he's like, he spotted four of them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, that that's a good example. I mean, if those were grizzly, then there's grizzly we didn't know about. How many people are going to do what Adam did and actually go out there 20-plus miles deep into the woods with a, with a fucking tent and find these things? Yeah. Like, it's incredibly difficult to get real-world numbers on these animals. Yeah, and that's—so once you, once, you um, once you take the science out of it and the, the people with boots on the ground actually weighing in on— Hey, okay, here's how here's how many animals there are. Here's how many we need to kill. Once you do like they did in BC, and the government just decides that the public can't stomach it anymore because they did some poll at Star. They have Starbucks in BC, right? Yes, a poll at Starbucks, and uh, which is where I went today, by the way. But <laughs> I still kill stuff. Um, uh, that's when. That's where. We cause problems. We yeah. create issues. We, you know, we use the wrong tools to. We're still managing the the animals, but not correctly. Well, it's also the decisions are based on emotions without real information based on the actual environment that these animals live in. Like you, you could never imagine if you lived in Vancouver and went to some of the best restaurants in the world mm-hmm. and drove some of the nicest streets. And I mean, Vancouver is an amazing city. If you live there and you had this idea of what wildlife is, but you never left Vancouver, or if you did, you oh, we visited Chicago. It yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. You know, like you don't know. Like you literally have to be there to just kind of get a sense of it. And you wouldn't get a sense of it in one trip. You'd have to be there all the time. You'd yeah. have to you'd have to take multiple excursions into the forest to really understand what you're talking about and what you're dealing with. So to make those decisions based on people who are completely ignorant about that situation. Right. That's like, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a ridiculous way to handle it. So, so thankfully here in the United States, we do have a great system for you know, wildlife management. And our government, except for here in California with the mountain lions, trusts the professionals, the biologists, the people out, you know, boots on the ground, as I said. And we, we trust those people to allocate tags to to give us numbers to to help manage the the hunt seasons and and how many tags are for each area so thankfully that's continued to happen here but even here it's it gets protested like the delisting of wolves an area where they're starting to desolate or delisting of grizzlies yeah and that's going to get pushed back too people are going to sue against it but the the idea is not to kill all these animals the idea is not to to satisfy the bloodthirsty urges, some fat redneck that people have in their mind as being the stereotypical hunter that they yeah. see as a bad guy in a movie, right. right? Like in a movie, it's always like, remember the scene in Wolverine where there's the bad guys who yeah. killed the bear and he goes and fucks those bad guys up. Did you shoot that bear with poison? Weren't they remember drunk that? or something yeah, like that? Yeah, of course, that. they're drinking. God, it's so like, retarded. It's so stereotypical. It's like the yeah. idea that every beautiful woman has to be stupid yeah. it's just as right offensive right and and it, this is the stereotype that we've been fed because 
it's a it's a classic cliche sort of a scenario, it's right? It's easy. You yeah. see it in the movie, right? Jocks are big, dumb, stupid guys. Right. Uh, hot girls are bimbos. You know, the nerdy guy with glasses is always smart. Sometimes those nerdy guys with glasses are fucking idiots. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't. It's, sometimes a hot girl's smart. Sometimes a hot girl's way smarter than us. It's all so possible. Sometimes hunters aren't. Most Art. times that's the thing that yeah. frustrates the shit out of me my experience has been like what we experienced this past weekend People like Lee and Tiffany people like you and Ben really good people. Yeah, really good nice people Yeah, I mean we know so many people that are involved in the the outdoor world whether the hunting the industry world. Yeah, yeah, whether it's John Dudley or Remy or, or Steve Ranella. These are great people. Yeah. They're exceptional human beings People with exceptional character and exceptional discipline. Right. They're, it's not the fat redneck that wants a poisonous grizzly bear that Wolverine has to beat up in a stupid movie. Right. But that's all you see. No, and I, I even I did a call out on um, it was like some triple X movie or Xander Cage somebody I don't know what it was but they had the girl on there said. There's the, they showed these bow hunters getting ready to shoot. Did we talk about this one the last time? Getting ready to, or maybe I just put it on my, on my Facebook, getting ready to shoot a lion with a bow. She's with a rifle, with the rifle scope on his head. She shoots the hunter. And she says, so uh, Vin Diesel calls her on the phone about some mission they're going to do for this stupid movie. And he says, what are you up to? And she's like, evening the odds. So she was shooting a hunter, and that's on a on a regular movie. That's so corny. You talk to people in Africa, they want lions dead because lions kill their friends. Yeah. Like, I know a woman who lived in South Africa who lost a friend to a lion. Yeah. And when you talk to her about lions, she, our, she has that South African accent. She's born and raised. Right. And, you know, when she talks about lions, she goes, they just never been around lions here. No. She goes, you don't know what it's like. There was, a, there was an article that was written by a guy from Zimbabwe right after the whole Cease, and the, Cease of the Lion thing that was yeah. in the New York Times yeah. that it said, in Zimbabwe, we do not cry for lions. Right, right. Yeah, and, and this was about people that have had to deal with these things. It's not saying that we want all lions dead. No. We don't. No, but, but you've got to hunt them so they're out of the where people live. Well, people don't understand. It's the same thing as with the grizzly bears. When they, they made lying hunting such a dangerous proposition for people to do it because you're going to get ostracized, people are going to show up at your house and protest like they did that dentist guy. Yeah. They've had to call lions now. Right. Now they have to hire hitmen to go in there and shoot all these lions, and they make no money. So instead right. of making $50,000 per lion, which helps the community, helps fund their schools and gives them money and... There's been a lot of articles written about the the lie of conservation when it comes to lying hunting and how little of it actually goes to the people of the community and how much of it actually goes to the outfitters. But you know how much of it goes to the community if you don't have hunters? Yeah. Zero. Right. Zero. You know how much of it goes into the community if these people protest, the people that don't want lying hunting? How much do they put in? Yeah. Zero. Right. They don't help those people at all. Most of them just are, you know, hashtag uh, activists or you know internet people that are just b posting pictures up on Instagram and Facebook and getting people riled up mm -hmm. and starting petitions but how much are you actually doing there are they doing anything no you got to manage lions yeah nobody likes to hear that but if you want people to live 
in the same vicinity as lions. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure the lion population doesn't get too crazy. Right. And also, they devastate the ungulate population. They devastate them. That's one of the reasons why they had to call well, them in Zimbabwe. You know, they're, there's not, you know, not like they have a bunch of stores with stock full of meat. So they have cows. You know, yeah. that's that's kind of what they have. They have cows and they're domestic animals that they they use for food. Those lions come in and, and kill a bunch of those. So, I mean, to them, a $600 cow, that's huge. Yeah. You know, a $600 cow is... Could be, I'm not going to say life or death, but if that gets killed by a lion, drastically impacts their life. I think a lot of people have ideas about wildlife that are entirely shaped by movies yeah. and by television shows. And we have this, this unrealistic depiction. And this is not in support or against hunting. This is just, uh, I think, the reality of humans and our, war our view of the wild world. Did you, you saw that woman last year in, um, she was a, uh, an editor for Game of Thrones and she was in the wild in Africa. Oh yeah. She, she got decided, drug out. She decided to roll down her window to get a bit of photo. <laughs> and the cat said, thank you. Yeah. Just reached in, grabbed her, pulled her out of the car and killed her in front of everybody. Yeah. Drug her out. That's what a lion does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, the lion's not doing that because she was antagonizing it or because it was hungry. Or because it's a killing machine. It's yeah. nature's killing machine. Yeah. It's the reason why we're not that you don't have to hack your way through a river of gazelles to get to your fucking car. It's right. because those cat those cats exist. Well, it's um, I don't know. I'm I'm glad I'm glad um for this forum to talk about things like this because I know we've made an impact and and because of you and and you reach so many people and you're. Wearing an Under Armour Hunt shirt right now with a big bull on it and, uh, Sweet, right? and a Hoyt bow hunting hat. And it's just like, I feel like there's been education happening for a few years now. And we're slowly turning the tide. And people do care more about where their food comes from. Kind of the process of how did my, how'd this food get to my... Not everybody's thinking that, but a lot of people are. And uh, it just feels like also like bow hunting is just a cool thing to... Be involved. Shooting a bow is cool. Shooting a bow is awesome. It's yeah. fun. It's exciting. And I always tell people, even if you want to eat plants for the rest of your life, you never want to kill an animal ever, just try archery just mm -hmm. for meditation. It's an amazing, relaxing thing because to release a perfect arrow and have it hit that bullseye is so difficult and involves so many different things that you have to manage and control that in doing that, it sort of cleanses your mind. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it. Oh, nothing better. I mean, we were... I posted a video yesterday, and we were, you know, we had success on our we hunt. We tagged out. We tagged out. We both out. got elk. So oh. our hunt was done, and we were still, you, me, and Jed were having a great time just shooting arrows and having fun. Yeah. Shooting yeah. at targets and yeah. just laughing and making little bets with each other and stuff and yeah. having a great time. Do you owe me? No, I owe you. No, we're no, even. we're even. We're even. Jed owed me 100 bucks, but I let it slide because <laughs> Under Armour paid for the hunt. <laughs> but it's yeah. just the the... I think what's important about podcasts, and it's not just for hunting, I think it's important for almost every really difficult, complex, nuanced subject, is you have to discuss all the aspects of yeah. it, and you can't do that on a regular television show. No. You can't, and you also have to remove a lot of the unrealistic programming that we have in our head mm -hmm. because of... Anthropomorphization of animals attaching human characteristics that we've seen in Disney movies and 
all of our lives. Yeah. Animals have been our friends. We've had teddy bears that are our friends. Polar bears are selling us Klondike bars and Coca-Cola. We have all this in our head that these are these cute, awesome things, which they are awesome. They are beautiful. Yeah. But we don't know what they really are. We have an unrealistic idea of what they really are. We might see them in the zoo. Oh, there's the bear in the zoo. Hi, bear. Yeah. They, this is not what they really are. No. And unless you have real-world experience in where they really are, like I was saying to, to um, Tom, the guy who owns the ranch. Tom Land. I was saying, you got this an amazing place, and I think you should take people on guided tours that have no intention whatsoever of hunting. Yeah. Just show them the rut. Wild because elk. It's so much greater than any experience you'll ever have at the zoo. Yeah. With me and Colton and Jameson, we're out there covered in the bushes, hiding, and hearing... Hearing these elk scream yeah. all around us, yeah. we were saying this is amazing. Like, yeah. how many people get to experience this? They had, these elk had no idea we were there, and we got to creep in on them and watch them just be wild elk. And it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was thrilling. It was incredible. With, I mean, I'm looking at all these cows, and I'm thrilled. I have no desire to kill them. I right. was looking at elk that I knew I wasn't going to kill, and I was still enjoying every second of it. Right. Like, if people could go and experience that and just be, I think you would get, like, one step closer to an understanding of that this is, this, this whole world is this wild Co collection of things that are interacting with each other. Right. And if you know just one piece of it, you can't really judge no all of it you know and so what what should they do maybe they should trust people who've been there who've done it who understand who aren't bloodthirsty killers but actually have been out there and know how it all goes together it's okay to trust people like that and not think that hunting's bad hunters are bad so be like um, maybe i just didn't get it but i don't think the hunters had a voice before right i think before podcasts came along we relied on people like Ranella or yourself to write books, and then you have to read those books. Nobody wants to read a fucking book. No, and you're, you're reach. You're, so it's, uh, what's that saying? Um, you're preaching to the choir. Right. So whoever's buying the book exactly. is already on your team. Yeah, exactly. So this has allowed us to reach to people, reach people who maybe aren't on the team. Yeah. And that's what's, you know, we've been able to, to vet, vet it and discuss and detail and go through it so i don't know i mean i just wish people could have more of an open mind about it and and it takes time it does yeah it, it takes time but i've got a lot of messages from people and i've talked to a lot of people in real life that have said to me that they've changed their thoughts on what hunting is by listening to me talk to ranella listen to me talk to you listen to me talk to remy and john dudley and all these different people where you get a sense of like, oh, well, these are like really good people. These mm -hmm. are really not, and these are people that are experiencing this wild thing, and it gives them like this itch. Because I can remember before I ever hunted, for years I had this weird itch about it, where I I'd been fishing most of my life. You know, I'd, I always would go fishing, but I'd never been hunting until 2012. But before that, I always had these thoughts about it. Like I'd always sit around and I'd go, man, what it was like that's got to be the best way to get meat mm -hmm. right it's got to be the healthiest for you and i would buy like i would always order like if they had venison in a restaurant i'd always order it or you know elk or you know bison or something like that i'm like yeah. wow it tastes different it tastes and that's farm raised bullshit you know yeah. when you're yeah. buying venison in a store you're not getting a wild deer no you're getting some weird they can't sell wild no you're mostly getting it from new zealand in fact yeah which is really weird you're getting a lot of new zealand elk yeah. so so when i 
would think about it for the longest time. I was getting like little fragments of information from these television shows, and a lot of them were terrible. I'd watch a lot of the hunting shows, and they would be like real rednecky, low brow, yeah. really fucking yokel, dum dums. And I'd be like, well, that's I don't want to be involved in that. Yeah. And then I found Ranella's show, and that was the first thing that opened my eyes. I went, okay. All right, here's a guy who's really smart mm -hmm. and well-read and cooks all these things. Mm -hmm. And he cooks all these animals in this really delicious preparation. I'm like, okay, now I'm intrigued. And luckily I got to meet him, and luckily it started me on this, this, this journey. But for most people, they're stuck with that Wolverine movie. Yeah. They're stuck with that image. And, and being involved in this for so long, I can say, and I, you know... I do a lot of different things. Um, the ultra running community is not a hunters. I mean, those are pretty green people. And, uh, but I can say that for me, the best people I know, my closest friends, the people I can count on for anything, like I said, are hunters. And it's like hunters, I think just have a different perspective on life, death, struggle, and where that's driven home for me is the death threats I get. There's comments right now on, on a couple of my photos from people that said, somebody said they, they hope I, I get home and my family gets in a car crash and I get there just in enough time to where the flames are burning them and they're clawing at the windows. They, that's the kind of stuff people post on my photos today because I hunt. Hunters. Meanwhile, is that person eating a cheeseburger right now? I don't know. They're just yeah. It, are they are they buying their cat yeah, canned chicken? No, but they're just they're weak people that don't understand that how life works. Hunters understand the preciousness of life. We take life to sustain ourselves. We accept that fact, so we appreciate life. We appreciate friendship. We appreciate somebody who's there for you because you've been down, you've been up, you've, you know, killed animals, you know what goes into to eating and surviving. Somebody like that puts on their blinders, judges people, wants my family to die. They don't even really. What they're doing is just trying to hurt your feelings and yeah, make you but, feel like shit. But, but that's what I'm saying. Hunters won't do that. Hunters yeah. are... I don't know. They're the best people. I don't people. even think we can generalize because there's some hunters that are pieces of shit. You know, it's like the we would like to think. The best people I know are hunters. But you know some of the best hunters. I'm just, And well, I think that's th when you get to the elite of anything, you get to people that have exceptional character that have allowed them to get really, truly great at any pursuit. And you're talking about guys like Lee Lukoski or Remy Warren. You're talking about the elite of the elite, right? If they were doing anything, they would be amazing at it. Yeah. And I think that when you're talking about the character of those people, those are people that have overcome incredible odds to become very good at something that's insanely difficult, mm -hmm. which is bow hunting. And I think a lot of these people, the problem is, first of all, there's an anonymous communication on the internet. That's a problem. The problem is talking to people in person. You get social cues. If I say something mean to you and I see I'm hurting your feelings, you feel it. Yeah. You're trying to like reach out and hurt someone. You're not even in the room. You're throwing a bomb. You're like closing your eyes and throwing a bomb <laughs> over a bridge. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not seeing them. It's yeah. not it's not it's a bad form of communication for the human animal. Because unless you commit to only being nice and kind or friendly mm -hmm. or or funny online, unless you commit to doing that and never trying to like reach out and, and attack someone and hurt someone, 
you're using this whole thing wrong because you're taking advantage of this weird little loophole that exists in communication right. where you can communicate with someone with no repercussions. Because if someone said that in front of your face... Oh, they never would, though. Exactly. Yeah. But if they did, you know, it would get fucking hot, right? Right. If someone said that to me in front of my face, it would be very hard for me to stop from assaulting them. It just seems weird that hunters don't go to, to a vegan... I don't even know if they have pages. I assume they have pages and just talk oh, shit yeah. to vegans. Oh yeah, they have tons of them. Yeah, but we won't do that. Well, it's you know, it's not something they're not doing anything that we oppose, right? I don't oppose people eating vegetables. I eat vegetables. They think in their mind that we are doing something that is immoral or that is unevolved. Yeah. And I think that's just ignorance. Yeah. They don't understand that we are here for a very temporary short amount of time. And the more we embrace the richness and complexity that is life and the, the life eats life struggle, and the less we finger point and more we try to look at our own footprint, our carbon footprint and the, just the, the sustainability footprint that we mm -hmm. live, that we leave on this world. And in my eyes... There's no more sustainable way of living than supporting conservation through buying tags and supporting it through buying outdoor equipment, which what is it, what is the number of percentage of taxes that go from when you buy hunting equipment that goes straight to conservation? Oh, yeah. It's like eleven percent, I Something think. Something like that, yeah. Which is millions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has a great bunch of charts that show how much money each year hunters Contribute. put into contributing mm -hmm. to wildlife conservation. It's stunning. Yeah. It's billions of dollars. And it is number one in conservation by a fucking long shot. I right. mean, the second place is like a, f a tiny fraction of what hunting uh, contributes to conservation. Yeah, yeah. And most people don't know that. It, well, it takes these kind of conversations for people to find out. Hunters know that. Hunters do know you that. Know, Here that. it is. Gun and ammo taxes result in $1.1 billion for, world, for wildlife wow. and conservation each year. $1.1 billion. Right. That's just gun and ammo taxes. Forget about bows and arrows and uh, hunting equipment and uh, clothing and all the different factors. Yeah that play in uh, as, like, different pieces that contribute to conservation. It's an, an amazing amount. Right. And you're not getting that from people who are philanthropists. Yeah. You're not getting that from people that just want to be nice and contribute to animals. You get a tiny fraction of that. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, that whole thing, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they came up with the hunting as conservation. And it's like a little a part of that, though, when I hunt, I don't think I'm going to go out here and conserve. You know, I think I want to kill a mature animal. I want to take meat home to my family. The byproduct of what we do is conservation. And that's, right. that's where that money comes in. And that's where the hunt hunters, you know, buying the hunting licenses and hunting tags. Because people have told me, well, are, are you, you're taking credit for being a conservationist, but would you do that if you didn't have to? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> My money, my money's there whether I, I want, I would do it or not. Well, also here's an important thing: hunters chose to 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 vote to put that amount of money towards conservation. This is something that nobody fought. Right. This no, is some, we've never fought. Oh, that's too expensive. Or right. This, the, that, no, we eleven percent. I want all that money. In my we own gladly pocket. do it. Yeah. And it's but it's like you know I don't. I'm a hunter. First, I'm a conservationist because I'm a hunter. But you're also a hunter 
because people before you were conservationists and they made sure that the hunting was protected right. and that you didn't have to be a conservationist first and then hope that your kids or their exactly. kids could be hunters because the world would be in more balance. Right. We so, tied them to, they tied them together and it's it's this model's worked so well. It does, mean, it's worked so well but it's been represented so poorly. I right. think up until recently People just don't, haven't understood what it, I didn't understood what stand what it was yeah. until I became involved in it. Right. Yeah. So I'm very thankful for people like you and people like Steve Rinella that opened the door for me. So and then I feel like as much as I preach about this and much as I'm redundant as fuck and annoying to a lot of people listening, <laughs> I think I have a responsibility to to share what I've learned and to communicate about this. Even though people get mad at me, you stop killing animals. All caps. Yeah, they're really mad. Yeah, okay. Go, stop eating grain, you fuck. If you if you look, <laughs> people don't understand. You go. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. If you look at a grain field after it's been plowed, what do you see? Vultures. Yeah. Flying over. It's what. Yeah. Once that combine goes through and gets the wheat, I mean, there's all sorts of dead animals. Vulture, buzzards flying around, and uh, I mean, even so, you drink coffee. How do you think the the coffee beans where those are grown? There's no weeds. There's no. You know. I mean, it's just. There's animals dying for your coffee. You yeah, know? there's animals dying for everything. And I think the, the closer we can get to a real, true, organic relationship with, with life, with all life, plant life. I mean, I fucking hate the idea of pesticides. You know, I, I hate the idea that we're spraying things on certain plants to kill them so that we can grow other plants. Yeah. La like large-scale agriculture, when you look at a giant cornfield... Ladies and gentlemen, that is one of the most unnatural things in all of life. And it is one of the most, the weirdest things we've just accepted as being natural. Mm -hmm. It's not natural. And that's one of the reasons why they have to dump nitrogen into the soil and all kinds of other shit and pesticides and use Roundup and, and, and use giant machines to grind up all this stuff. And that's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't eat wheat, but I'm saying all of this is unnatural. Cities yeah. are unnatural. Right. All this is unnatural. Right. And the more we understand about the, the true nature of our interactions with this life mm -hmm. that we are, we are surrounded with, the better off we'll all be. And it doesn't mean finger pointing or saying that they, you should watch your family die in a fire. Like, that's not helping anybody. They yeah. don't understand. This, it's, just, it's just digging in on both sides. It's sort of the same thing that people do in politics. You know, the right hates the left and the left hates the right and nothing gets done because everybody's just yeah. digging in and supporting button. their side. Yeah. And it's just, we, we all need to realize that this life that we're experiencing is far more nuanced and requires far more research and far more understanding of all the different pieces that are moving. That was another great thing about that hunting trip is I had no idea what, what um, people were attacking Donald Trump for for about a week. <laughs> or so, anybody. Or yeah, I, whether I or not like, we're going to fight North Korea. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, didn't know anything. It was awesome. I was just hoping that no one got nuked in the time that we had no service for a week. I was just hoping that yeah. we, there wasn't a new attack or Kim Jong-un didn't shoot a rocket over Japan or whatever no. the fuck it was. I didn't know any of that, and everything worked out just fine. So yeah. that, was, that was a win-win. And we're here. Yeah. Well, listen, brother, let's wrap this up. Okay. Um, we just did three hours. Amazing. Goes that, by like that, that right? That was good. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for getting me into bow hunting. Thanks for taking me on this epic trip. Uh, thanks to Under Armour. Uh, thanks to uh, Tom, the owner of the ranch, and uh, everybody else involved. And that's it. 
All right. All right, fuckers. That's it. See you soon. Bye. Keep, keep hammering. Keep hammering, bitches. Ha, 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 ha.